Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Courage or Cringe, featuring Wally El Tawashi. On today's episode, we're joined by award-winning executive producer of HBO's OG and Showtime's GoGo's documentary, Wally El Tawashi. We'll look at Kyrie Irving, No Play Gets Paid, Netflix Data Leaker Firing, and Texas Teachers Holocaust Education Misstep. Is one of the NBA's all-time marquee talents being punished and ridiculed simply for taking a principled stance on human autonomy? Or is he an inconsistent athlete with an unjustifiable position who simply become a distraction? Did the world's largest streaming platform justifiably fire a black pregnant leader of a trans resource group for violating company policy? Or have they made another optics misstep and added more fuel to the fire over their controversial content? And finally, does a new Texas law designed to discourage public school indoctrination create confusion and sow division among teachers in the great state? Or are bystanders making mountains out of molehills over a simple law that's being politicized for the sake of soundbite fame? This and more this week on TDR. Have you heard the show? Have you heard any episodes yet? Yeah. Of course, he's a pro. I jumped when you said, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, no, it was really cool to to think about having you. By the way, I... um, I definitely want to catch up a little bit on all the stuff that you've been up to, but I, I saw a quote from Rolling Stone on your GoGo's doc, and let me see if I can actually find the thing. It was actually pretty bad, uh, pretty badass quote. Don't think of the GoGo's as a bit of a Reagan era nostalgia, the musical equivalent of a Rubik's cube. Think of them as a first tier kick ass rock group. Period. Full stop. The end. I was like, you know, I love the GoGo's, but I also love the '80s. So sometimes it's hard for me to it's distinguish. Yeah. I mean, that band is iconic. I think we all grew up on that band. So, you know, when I had the chance just to meet uh, Belinda and Gina and the rest, it was like all in. Um, And then you realize it's just, it's a committee. It's Mm -hmm. five women with five different points of view. And when they click, it's just magic. How'd that come about? I mean, did you think you were going to do a go-go thing the whole time? Not at all. I mean, 
Were you I, into their music? Are you into their music? I'm into their music. Yeah. Um, but I only saw the two videos. I grew up on MTV, so mm-hmm. you see the videos. And what happened was I, when I moved to LA, I needed a business manager to handle the taxes. I'm being Canadian and so forth. And Jerry Leonard, Leonard Management, had um, introduced me to Belinda. Where from Canada are you from? Toronto, Canada. You're from Toronto? Yeah. I didn't know that. Rep in the North. Nice. The home of Drake. Love Toronto. The home of Drake. <laughs> Queen Street. Jimmy. The home of Jimmy. Um, that being said, it was just uh, when I met with Belinda and then I met with uh, Gina, it was just presenting. They wanted to do, um, they wanted to, they wanted to get in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's how it all started. How did we get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And we just, the first idea was like, let's do a doc. And mm-hmm. you would think it was a no brainer. And at that, at that time, it just the Me Too movement had just started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we presented, oh, I presented to um, UMG Polygram, who had the, who had the publishing in the catalog. And usually how it works, it's really, you got to work it backwards. Um, documentaries are usually who has the most to gain, and it's usually the publishing. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you increase the value in the publishing? And I went to who had the publishing, and it was UMG who had the publishing, and presented them with the idea. And I, hadn't, I had no clue how to make a documentary or what was involved in the documentary. So like anything, you just go for it. And you know, to their credit, specifically David Blackman, he said, come back when you have a director. And, and that's what we did. And the band... Um, had seen the Eagles documentary. Uh-huh. It was well done. It was done by Alison Elwood, and that's the only director they had, Warren. And um, keep in mind, they, I mean, they've been around for decades. They have relationships with a lot of different directors. Yeah. But they wanted Alison, and to our credit, to everyone's credit, we got Alison. And it was, she jumped out. She was a f- huge Go-Go's fan. And we came back to UMG, and I think within a week, a week later, after Alison pitched it, they stepped up and said, we fully financed the pick. Yeah. And that, that does not happen. Yeah. Funny story, and I'll, you probably, this was probably the first time someone's going to tell this story. Um, we had uh, a bidding war between HBO and Showtime. Um, we had got the fully financed budget, directed and everything, and realized, wait a second, we don't have a talent agreement. <laughs> the girls hadn't officially signed <laughs> off. A little detail. <laughs> yeah, details. That's and, fine. Figure that out. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, we had that... In March, so we started that process in April, and the girls changed their mind three times, and it was done by committee, so it's three out of two. Right? Oh, so really? It's like majority rules. Majority rules. Is that something that they'd done before just to yes. deal with band issues? Yes, that's actually really cool. Majority rules, and first it was yes, and then it was no. And you remember then when the the VH1 behind the music it wasn't a great experience for them. Hmm. Um, so, but I don't it, know the story why. I mean, it wasn't a great episode. That one, it was, just, it was really a kind of expose, VH1 behind the music, and it was more of like a National Enquirer-esque, mm-hmm. just for uh, initially when they, did, when they did behind the uh, music. And when you do a documentary and you don't have Final Cut, you're entrusting the director. Right. You know, how your image comes out, it's just a matter of trust. And that trust has to be, you know, earned and so forth. So, I think it took a while. Um, they engaged with Allison, and they realized, you know, Allison had their best interests at heart. And you also don't want a, an EPK. You don't want a publicity kind of extension. So you right, want it's a balancing act, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then eventually they they said yes. That's cool. That's cool. Music's yeah. been a big driver for you, though, right? You did that Eric B and Rakim thing too Eric with B. all Rakim, right? Absolutely, yeah. Eric B and Rakim, and um, we're in the works. Uh, the seminal. We are. Yeah, in the what did you do with Eric B and Rakim? Um, it was the anniversary of Paid in Full. And yeah. the first time before performing Never together. Never heard of it. Performing together <laughs> on, at the Apollo right. Theater in 25, yeah. I believe it was in 25 years, and not knowing anything again, Yeah, I rushed out to the management, who we uh, 
share the same lawyer, so that's how I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now become a good friend, Matt Kemp. And I said, look, I need to be involved. How can I be involved? And we put something together like last minute. Um, and I got involved, and I got to know Eric B. really well. Eric's a really good friend. And you know, I can say this. We're in the works of doing an Eric B. and Rakim documentary. Wow. That's awesome. Absolutely. I was and a huge fan as a kid. Absolutely. My brother introduced me to Paid in Full. It was like mind-blowing the first time I heard that song. It's one of those when you first hear it, you know, yeah. some, there's something different going something on. Different. Something, yeah, yeah, something yeah. different. Something step change. Yeah, 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 for sure. And yeah, we, I mean, look, there was supposed to be a Big Daddy Kane, Eric B. Rakim battle on Versus rather than uh, rather than KRS. Uh, it didn't happen. So, mm. and then there were seminal force. I mean, the quote is Rakim's is your rapper's favorite rapper. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Everyone want to be raw, and um, we, I'm I'm excited to tell that story. That's great. Um, I mean, you think it's from a documentary, and also and back to the publishing. Um, when Wendy Williams told that story on her bio series, um, Eric B had a seminal role because they dated, and Eric B, Eric B was his character was in that, and the, their publishing went up. I think management told me about twenty percent just from mm. that small role. Mm-hmm. So you see the power of visual just from telling a story yeah. from audio to visual. We're still in the same medium. When MTV came out, and the power of a music video, what that did to the catalog, what that did to the touring, and so forth. Now. We're still in the, we're still in the same cycle, which is just different distribution. What 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 do you think of that uh, of the I think it's, I forget the title of it, but maybe it'd been called the history of hip hop. The one on Netflix that that came is like it's a Canadian, Canadian production company. Yeah, what that. do you think of it? I love it. I mean, I think they were the first in. Um, Russell Peters, the comedian, actually helped them get that off the ground. Mm-hmm. I think it just tells a great story. Laid out it the does, story. Yeah. The, the challenge now is a lot of these hip hop artists want to tell their own stories, sure. their own documentary. So it's been a challenge for them to kind of do more and more but I mean hip hop is going to be 50 years old in 2023 right it's going to turn 50 wow that's crazy the challenge is trying to tell one story right because you have like all the nuances of each region and how they were influenced and how different they were from each other it's many times competing right so it's it's that's part of the challenge of trying to tell one absolutely hip hop story because that was probably my only knock is I feel like they glossed over some really big names, or just didn't give them enough of a. And it's tough because there's just so many people that were involved in that in that in that genre really developing. And I think that challenging part, even making that, is just clearing the music. The yeah. fact that the Darby and Rodrigo, uh, I'll give a shout out to, I mean, clearing that music is just it's, yeah, it's really tough. By, by the way, Wally, you'll probably appreciate the story. So I've told I think Charles before, but so I grew up in Compton. Right. So my brother and I will go to the record store. Like literally, this is the the, the time where you walk to the record store, right? And I remember walking into a record store, and we're, you know, I forgot what we're going to buy. And this kid's on the counter, black kid, and tells us, hey, uh, you guys are Mexican, right? We're like, yeah. He said, yeah, I have some, like, Mexican rapper. You want, you want to have it? Sure. He gives us a demo tape. It's Cypress Hill. What? He didn't even sell it. He was like, he gave it to us. Because it was just like, as some, you know, Mexican dude trying to rap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it was like, that's how we discovered Cypress Hill. We're like, what wow, is this? Wow. This blew our mind. Be real. Yeah. Be real. Yeah, exactly. When you do these docs and these these things, right, like Gogos or, or or Eric B, is the idea to introduce to new people, or is the idea to kind of represent this kind of old guard? Like, who? What happens when you do this stuff? Do you get a whole flurry of new people going, like discovering these groups? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's about legacy. I think anything we do, whether it's music, whether you do your work, you want to just pass your legacy. It's not always about the money and the fame. It's mm-hmm. legacy. Like, what are you doing to pass down your legacy and the torch and the light? I think it's twofold. I think it's reintroducing a whole new genre of music um, to a younger audience and also 
your legacy. You want to make sure your legacy kind of carries on. And I think a lot of these artists are more into now legacy building. They're, I mean, Snoop just turned 50 today. Wow. Right. And Snoop's Happy birthday. About, exactly. And, and Snoop is about building his legacy. And so Eric B. and Rakim, I, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but it's about legacy as well to make sure they're, they're the kind of staple in the hip-hop history. And, and I think Versus has done a really great job of doing that. It's just showcasing these iconic hip-hop artists to the younger generation and what, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, the, the mumble rap, all these little littles and so mm-hmm. forth. I mean, when you see you know, Big Daddy Kane and all these rappers, I mean, that's just true art form of rap. Right, and hopefully that comes back in style. And even, even rock music, just pure acoustic songwriting, songwriting. It's all cyclical, right? We mm-hmm. all go through trends in music, right. but yeah. But I know that's a big driver for you. Do you like? A, are you historically a big I'm music bi- person? Big music fan. I'm a big country music fan. Um, okay. Most people don't know that, but I'm like, I grew up uh, in Toronto, just a suburb of Burlington, Ontario, and uh, one of my best friends, uh, John Bowers, his dad, Richard Bowers, um, was a huge iconic uh, music fan and. Mm-hmm went through his catalog and it was a lot of country music, a lot of rock music. So just my verse in old school countries there and it's just, you know, and then you grow up, hip hop came on the scene as a teenager and you're like, oh damn, this is it. But you still remember those songs and it's just stories. Like oh, yeah. we all gravitate mm-hmm. to stories. It doesn't matter who the artist is. Right. And what most people don't know, we're trying to work on a Johnny Cash situation for Jamaica. Um, Jamaicans love country music. Hmm. Really? Well, I mean, if you think I've about it, it the, the country music as a genre is a great storytelling genre. I mean, and you have it in other cultures, right? And you think of, um, what's it called? Uh, not rancheras. What's it in Me- the, the, the Mexican? The, the songs that are... Corridos? Or corridos, yeah, where, there, or, or, where there's like this real storytelling component to it. You have it in different cultures, but yeah. the American storytelling one, you've got hip-hop on one side, but country is definitely a storytelling medium. Huge, one yeah. of my favorite uh, country groups... Um, one of my favorite, sorry, groups all time is a country group, although they're a little bit of a hybrid, the Mavericks. Oh, yeah. You, you, oh, yeah. You get into them? And oh, they yeah. just came out last year in COVID. They came out with an uh, uh, an album all in Spanish, 100% in Spanish. And I was like, man, I just felt this connection like I'd never felt before. Because the guy who's a lead singer, Raul Malo, is Cuban. But they'd not really leaned into that Latino thing in the past. Mm-hmm. But 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 the genre itself, you can get into a country song, and it's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Country music and reggae, it's the same genre. It's just a form of storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. And they're farmers. I mean, Jamaicans are farmers. And, and so there's a natural connection that, you know, I see, but most people don't see. If you slow down reggae and they just listen to the lyrics, right. it's very familiar to country music. So that's why when, when you say, you know, Kenny Rogers or Johnny Cash, it's just revered on that island. Mm. Yeah. So there's a, we found a story there in a scripted format, mm-hmm. um, a feature that we're looking, we're looking forward to there's tell. It's also the same kind of dynamic in Kenya. Absolutely. Uh, country music is actually pretty popular in Kenya. I want to say Kenny Rogers is probably one of the ones. Absolutely. It was, I forget now. It, it may be Kenny Rogers, maybe somebody else, but that's super popular really? in Kenya. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Very, very popular. Yeah. Um, African is, scene is super is interesting. interesting. And the, Afri- yeah, the African scene is Afrobeats and the African culture. And I think that's one of the reasons why I named the, my company Yoruba. Um, it just, it's, a, it's a tribe out of Nigeria, and it is... One, the original of culture, yeah. right? From anything and so forth. So I'm like, that's a unique name, and I thought, well, that's what I wanted. I mean, is that little tribe kind of started fashion, music, and dance, and so forth, and then generational, well yeah. before the migration Africans and other in other regions. So I'm like, oh, that's you've been out to West Africa. Uh, I'm originally Egyptian. Okay, so, so I, North Africa, North Africa. Yeah. So I've been to Morocco, been to Kenya, as far as it goes. Man, that's a that's a seriously ancient culture. The Egyptians, man, you don't play with them. I mean, it's like those people. I go back. 
I'm talking thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. years. And I, I, I watch, I'm like the guy who watches all the documentaries, the crazy ones on, you know, the history of Egypt and the pharaohs. And I heard this real recent, I, I told you about that podcast. Have you heard any of the, the, the uh, short history of, are you familiar with this? No. Short history of, it's basically like a compressed podcast, compressed for history, right? It's like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, but they'll tackle major historical things, right? So like gladiators, you know, uh, Pompeii, Mount Vesuvius, all that stuff. And the one that I heard just recently was on on the discovery of King Tutankhamun. Wow. And they just unfold this incredible story of like the history of that culture. And so many things we get from Egyptian culture too. But uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that you were Egyptian. I've been to West Africa and uh, I went to Ghana and I went to uh, Cote d'Ivoire. And wow. on the musical scene... They have uh, High Life, I think, is like their national music. Man, and this thing is, it's wall to wall. You walk into a store, High Life going on. You go to church, they got High Life going on. You go to the supermarket, it's like there is no moment where there's no music playing. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way the culture is. But I think it's it's frequency too. There's a lot of different, you can connect. Most music genres have the same beat, tempo, and so forth. So there's a lot of connection between culture. And again, it's one world. Yeah. right? Right. Yeah, for sure. And it gets past generation, generation, generation. So it spreads to other, it just goes with the migration is, right? right? And it was, I think there was a documentary that Gloria Estefan did around, again, just the Cuban Afrobeats and the Yoruba. Mm-hmm. Tri- and, and that's where I'm like, when, and that's where I heard the name. The first time I heard Yoruba. the name, yeah. Yoruba, was when I, Sony Music Latin told me, shout out to Ruben, um, <laughs> about this documentary. I was like, wow, that's, it's like, yeah, that's cool. The more I researched, I'm like, that's a really cool name. Yeah. No, it's a, there's so much we have to learn about like other cultures, but especially from a musical standpoint, everybody borrows a little bit, you know. Absolutely. And there's the 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 in, in our popular kind of parlance, we've we hear terminology like culture appropriation and stuff. But if you kind of take the politics out of it, borrowing from other cultures and incorporating it is something that's part of art, as long as we've been humans. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Just like incorporate a little this, a little that, a little beat, and we see it even today in kind of sampling and all that and all that stuff that's going on. So yeah, uh, music is in my DNA. It's yeah. just um, more so. It's been, originally it was sports. Now it's just become. You get a little older. Your knees get a little. So you got North so Africa. You got uh, <laughs> Yoruba, and then you got the Chargers. Yeah, You're, I'm a big Charger fan. And an Egyptian Canadian. You like a, all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. Man. I'm a country fan, but I'm country Charger, <laughs> Charger fan. Wow. Like, who fires their coach after a 14-2 season? You know, those are the Marty years. I, I really do believe after. Um, John Butler passed away. That, that was our curse. Mm. Yeah, John Butler, we hired him from the Bills as a GM. Never got to see a full season. Passed away, and I, we've been. We'll see. Yeah, I dig the Chargers. We got a chance to do a little bit of work with them uh, with the Chargers organization a couple of years ago, two three years ago. It was a lot of fun, but um, you know, I think now that game that you went to, the mm-hmm. Monday night, was that Monday night? You know, Sunday, no, Sunday, Sunday, game. Sunday game. That Sunday game, I told him. I called him up afterwards, and I said, "This is the game." that helps cement the franchise in L.A. Because, you know, Chargers still, for, since they've been here, have had a lot of fans from the other team showing up. But, like, after that game, you're like, you know what? Yeah, was, I'm going to be a Chargers fan. Charlie. It's like it's a kind really? of game that does that. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, I have been, but I'm just the, saying. At the game itself, it's like it was such a mixed crowd. I mean, there was at least half for Browns fans, yep. if not more. Mm-hmm. Which makes it really confusing to watch because when you're watching a home game and you know there's a call made against the home team, you're like usually everyone boos, but here is like people were cheering on both sides. Like so, you're always confused with exactly what was the call. Like wait, who held? What, what happened? Which you know, it was really really interesting. The funniest thing I did see though is um, 
Obviously, people get you know pretty intoxicated sometimes when they go to you know no. some, some of these games. Stop. So it. we're walk, uh, you know, we're walking to to our car, and there is a group. We're very mixed crowd. There's a, a bunch of guys that are like Brown fans. They're pretty, they're pretty hammered, and they're very upset because the Browns just lost, right? And they feel like they got robbed. And there's some there's, you know, there was some questionable calls that they could have felt they could they got robbed. But the guy was saying like, "Oh, the Chargers fans suck. You don't even know any like." You don't know who the who like who the players are, and he starts quizzing this guy that just happens to stand next to him. It's like you, I bet you can name me one player besides the quarterback that plays for the Charger, and he he just happened to pick the one guy who probably been waiting the whole season to to get asked this question. Yeah. The guy starts knows going everything. down by by position. Knows, each, the, knows their blood type. Knows every single <laughs> yeah. player by position, offense and defense. And then, the, wow. and then I look at his wow. face. I just start laughing. Right, wow. like like dude, you literally picked the wrong dude. And it's one of those like had, drunk yeah. arguments. It has no. It's like exactly. There's, there's, but it's just in the middle hilarious. of a parking lot. You got people yelling at each other. It's nope. just hilarious. I was I was yeah. I wanted to record that conversation. But you so you've been a Chargers fan forever. Or forever. Is it? Dan Fouts here. Oh wow. Yeah. Air wow. Coriel Fouts. Well, I mean. I mean, that's growing up in Canada. You had the West Coast feed and you had the East Coast. We had the Bills was our mm-hmm. one o'clock game, and then usually depending on AFC, you know, and so forth, we'd get the West Coast feed. And either either back then that era was the Steelers or Cowboy fans. You know, as a kid, sure. you you go for the sure. winning team. And and I started with the Steelers, and then when I saw Coriel and the Chargers in that uniform on the four o'clock game, I was like, yeah, that's my team. Nice. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about Canadian football? I don't you don't watch it? I don't watch it. That's How long were you in Canada before you came uh, down here? I, was, I grew up in Canada. So you grew up, up there? Yeah, absolutely. My whole were, life. Were you, up, but but were you watching race, CFL yeah. when you were up there? Absolutely. Okay. You know, the Great Cup. Actually, oh, the Great Cup is coming around, actually. I think the Great Cup is next month. Okay. Is November. that the Super Bowl? I don't know. That's a Super Bowl. That's yeah. not a Super Bowl. Nice. But as rumor, the rumor is that LeBron might be buying the Chargers. What? Really? That's I what I heard. I heard rumor. Yeah, LeBron. Breaking news. Bro- I dig Le- that. I heard. On TDR. Well, he's got, what is he at? Liverpool. He's, a, he's got equity. Is, in does he have equity in Liverpool? A, a small, yeah. He's, he's a, I forget the company he's partnered up with. Well, I mean, Ooh. I think everyone looks at Magic Johnson. They want to replicate that, mo- that, that model. Absolutely. Like, he has the formula. Absolutely. And he's looking like a pretty, you know, pretty genius at this point, you know, buying into the Dodgers franchise. And then they've just gone, been uphill ever since. And Magic, uh, he, yeah. he did it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, a, I could totally see the the interest. Well, right? my, uh, I mean, that's common knowledge. My, Magic's background prior then was Michael Milken. Mm. That was Michael that helped him with the real estate and so forth when he posts Magic Johnson and that whole Magic Johnson theaters. Magic Johnson, that was yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that was Milken's consortium. That dude is super diversified. That's for sure. He was an investor in our last company. Who's mm-hmm. that? Magic. Really? Yeah. 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 Which company? Yeah, me too. Oh, what, really? Magic yeah. was in that? Yeah, yeah, he was in that. Yeah, he, for a little bit. He's a, he's all over the place though. He's everywhere. Yeah. And stuff you don't even know until I yeah. didn't know Magic Johnson was doing me too. Yeah, yeah. well, that's small investment. Yeah. Rose to, to, I'm sure, his, yeah, his, his portfolio. It's like $1.50, <laughs> I think <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> no, but, uh, but no, that's cool. So yeah, what, I was a huge Magic Johnson. I was a Laker fan. Still a Laker fan. It's kind of hard not to be, especially if you're kind of growing up in that era. Absolutely. It was I mean, like, it, like, yeah, Laker fan. James Worthy. Yeah, Byron Scott. Well, you Scott, could have been definitely a Cooper. Boston fan. Cause yeah, same era, true. That's the yeah. East Coast team. East Coast team. That was dominant. Yeah. Or Pistons, for that matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. We should have been here a couple weeks ago, yeah. and we were talking about Kareem. Oh, yeah, Kareem. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all related. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's very opinionated in sports. Actually, we have some interesting opinionated uh, folks uh, on, on this week's show. Yeah. Everyone's opinionated. Otherwise, they wouldn't make the show. <laughs> okay. and, I, and I read some back to Kareem. He had the most extensive music, jazz music collection. Oh, I didn't know that. And, really? And when his house burned down, I think in Malibu, they had that fires. It, it got you know, lost. And it, I think his dad played for Charlie Parker. 
Really? Mm. I think so. He had the most extensive job. It was in the document. There was a cream. Are you a jazz fan too? Somewhat. I Somewhat, say. yeah. I, you get older, you acquire taste. Our company's, uh, the name is inspired by Duke Ellington's uh, orchestral suite, Black, Brown, and Beige. Oh, that's yeah. what the record, yeah. I saw, yeah. I saw that Yeah, with Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. So, you know, Wally's the kind of guy, like, you just point him, you put him in a room, and, like, he's got that anecdote for, like, whatever. Just, just point at things in the room, and, yeah. and Wally would have a relevant story about totally. that Totally. It's like, you're talking about, like, Nebraska animal husbandry, and he's like, did yeah. you know that, uh, right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the Google. Right, exactly. Wikipedia. But I like that, man. That's a good way to start. That's like a, that's a talent. You start conversations. You know what I mean? You got a little something of relatability with wherever you go. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, and to me, it always starts with music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a fan. I mean, just in the whole creative process. And you yeah, guys, yeah. You, you understand it. Like, and I asked someone today, I had, a, I had a Zoom call with an individual at Def Jam. And she was ready to just kind of retire. Right? She's like, I want to move on to my next. And I was like, but how do you give up that rush to come up and like, be the first to break something, to right. break a record or break a campaign? How do you just give that up? Is she like an, a, like an A&R kind of person, like looking for sourcing new talent? Or? No, she was the head of uh, digital. Oh, okay. And But she's been around the game for a while, and she broke a lot of firsts, right? She's, just, she's a true visionary. And, and she's like, no, I'm ready just to – and I was like, I don't know if I can give that up. Right? Yeah. Just like you find a nugget of a story right. or find a nugget of an idea. Like you, it, it's tough as an entrepreneur to just let that go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. So while you, you, you've heard the show – Absolutely. Yeah, it's a real privilege to have you. By the way, where did we, just because uh, I was trying to remember, did you and I meet when I was at Univision? Univision, yeah. uh, Bob Gruders. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I was kind of trying to piece it all back together. You know, you come across people and it's like, I wonder, I'd like try to, where exactly did we meet? But um, but it's really great to have you on the show, Thank brother. Thank you for having me. And uh, you're going to bring some of that rich, diverse tapestry of experience to Thank these you, very good I think uh, that was an agency, publicist, tapestry. It was an agency, mm-hmm. that's right. Global Hue was another yeah, one. Yeah. What was it? What was the other? What was a crazy one that? Uh, Burrell? No, not you, Burrell. You know what? You know there was like, yeah, it was one of those. Or, Don, Don Coleman? No, I'm trying to remember. I had this like crazy. All these agencies that deal with diversity tried to come up with the one word that meant like, you know, colla- <laughs> translation. Some, some. Well, translation's still around now. They're in New York, right? Yeah. Um, but no, one of the OG ones. I forget. I, I forget uh, what yeah. it was. Yeah, you weren't in that side of the business. Asento or something. Something like that. You had to go <laughs> back in the day. While you had to go kiss the ring. Of these, there was like three guys yeah. who controlled all Everything. the everything. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, it's a funny story. When I I sold my agency and in Canada, and I wanted to move to the U.S., and I said, "Let me get music." So a friend of mine was running Sony Music, and he inch. He, and I said, "He goes, I'll set up an interview." So I had met with Kevin Laurie at the time, and Kevin was running Sony Music Latin mm-hmm. in Miami. I was like, "I'm not moving to Miami. This makes no sense. I want to move to L.A. and New York." And I met with Kevin, visionary. I said, "Okay, I'm <clears> sold." And I came into business development and strategy. And I realized, what the, like, the budgets, I went from oh. <laughs> general market budgets. Welcome to Latino. To the right. Latin market. And I didn't even call them budgets. I was like, what? <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, wh- how does this make, like, how is that right? And is this like a bar tab? What, what is this? Yeah, what exactly. is this? This is a conflict of interest. Like, what are you talking about conflict of interest? You rub like, the nickels together, yeah. they reproduce. Well, that's what yeah. it is. You know what I mean? And I was like, this makes no This makes no business sense. Right. It's the same dynamic that happens when people think about launching in Latin America, too. 
It's like there's so many people. It's amazing. And you like figure out what the, your monetization rates are down right. there. Completely different. And there like two people, two people just run the market. Or, exactly. Uh, right. Depends who you're talking to. That world's changed for sure. But when I got into it, it was like, yeah, you got to go meet X. I'm not going to say who, but you got to meet X Y Z. And you better make sure that you let it. And it was a whole deal. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember going to my first, because I got in towards the end of that era, right? I was coming in when digital was starting to hit and the old guard was dying off and all that. But I remember going to a dinner with one of these guys who ran one of these shops. I won't mention who it is, but I, sitting at dinner with him with my boss, you know him. Who's, was this on the media side or creative side? Media side. Yeah. Media side. The guy who like controlled oh, that's even all, worse. pushed that's all even the worse. buttons. Pushed worse. all the buttons, dude. This oh, guy I think was I running, know who that is. This guy was running hundreds of millions of dollars through his shop, and he had like every account. And I remember sitting in the I'd, – I'd been working at Univision for five months, I think it was. And I'm from L.A., right? So this is in New York. And he asked me – the one first question he asked me after I said, hey, how are you? I'm Charlie Echeverry. He goes, how long have you worked here? I said, five months. He goes, that t- is five months too long before you're sitting in front of me. Like, I, you should have seen me on week one. I'm not kidding you, dude. This guy looked at me straight in the eye and told me that I had just completely bombed it for five months because I hadn't gone wrong, rung his bell – within yeah. the first few months of being there. And meanwhile, I'm managing teams that are working with this team every day. You know what I mean? But it was like... Yeah, but you, you didn't kiss the ring. I didn't kiss, didn't the, kiss the ring. ring. That's, I didn't, that's and and it was bad. like, at that moment, I was like, oh, wow, did I just screw up? So let me... Like, let, you have. Let me yes. ask and you, I did, I think. Did, did yeah. that inspire you or did no. that did turn you off? No, it completely turned me off. Yeah. It completely turned me off because it, it was a sense of like this kind of parochialism where it was like... It, it just... It, it To me, it reminded me of a lot of the bad stereotypes of Latino culture to begin with kind of a lot of machismo and a lot of all this other stuff. And I was like, and I understood, look, people deserve the right that their career and history has gotten them. I have no beef with that. If you've made your, cut your teeth and made your bones, I understand all that. But the idea of like just crapping on somebody who I had no bad intention. I'm there. I'm like bleary eyed from a red eye. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And the first word, even before you say hello, is how long you worked here. And why is it taking this long to come see me? It's like, whoa, man, it's just pretty intense. And I felt bad. Is I he really still did. there? No, no. This, the whole shop is yeah, like dead. just yeah, yeah. dead. I mean, that's like again back in the day. <laughs> yeah, back then they were just printing money. They were, yeah. because there was printing money. There was three dudes that were like, "We know Latinos, and you have to give us money." And it was every company was like, "Oh, well, I know these guys know Latinos. Oh, great, boom!" And they don't know what the hell they were doing half the time. I mean, it was just like, and yeah. they were giving half of it to Univision. I don't know, <laughs> there's something going on there. But and that's um, changed. Oh, well, no, yeah, I, I think Univision's coming back. I mean, they they're restructuring. I think. Now, I think they sold. I mean, what what happened? Jesus they, has some thoughts on they that. They sold. Did they no, sell they, or, or Saban? Courage or cringe, Jesus. Yeah, Univision sucks. <laughs> what, what's what's your what's your uh, view? No, they did sell. Um, it's uh, uh, Davis. What's, what's his Wade. Name? Yeah, Wade. Yeah, Wade. Davis. They came from Viacom, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So they basically, as a group, came and acquired the company, and they're doing a bunch of moves there. Shifting to OTT has been one of their big plays. They acquired some folks, right? They acquired Vix, and they acquired Vix because Vix acquired. Pongalo, or is yeah, what it's called? one of the OTT players. So it's part of a you know big push towards OTT. Um, I still think you still have the same basic challenge, uh, and I think anyone that's in the Spanish media world has the same basic challenge that the premise of where you build those companies has shifted. That where you were primarily programming the two country of origin, that's no longer the case. Mm-hmm. My my line that I, I know Charlie hears you say all the time: what, you're not programming the country or origin. Where country of origin is not Long Beach. Not Mexico, right. not Colombia, yeah. not Venezuela, any of the other ones. And I think for many organizations, it's uh, that's a step change that I'm not sure if people are willing to make the change, even if they know it's the right thing to do because there's so much money that's still being, to your point, printed and just simply – because there's a moat there, right? People say like, well, you have to, you have to talk to – you know, do it in Spanish. That's the right way to do it. And that's going to capture you a lot of money. 
So I think it's it's, chal- it's a challenge business. But I mean, I find it interesting. I mean, Haim Saban, who's also Egyptian, mm-hmm. um, he owned it. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. And he's not of Hispanic heritage. Sure. He's not. Not, Wade Davis now, not of his. I mean, is it, I, I, I'd love to know, is it just the numbers? Like, if you're a opp- business, yeah. it's just the I opportunity. Think, I think with Haim and numbers. that group, although five private equity uh, groups, it was the opportunity. And yep. I th- I'm pretty sure it's pretty public that it was it did not work out. Did not work they, out at the, all the way they intended it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, yeah. and I think the whole Televisa. I, I situation. also think there is a there is an arrogance that anyone that walks into the Latino market thinks that they just can do it better. That yeah. they, you have all these dumb dumbs walking around. Oh, they don't really know what they're doing. It's, we're gonna they, yeah. We're gonna figure it out. It'll take us you know tops, five minutes, three months tops. Yep. We gotta figure it out, and I think there's plenty of people that walk in with that mindset, and yeah. then I wrote a big piece when uh, it's a rude awakening. Yes, yeah, a rude awakening with, when, the, with their tail between their legs. Yeah. When Wade uh, Davis got announced, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn. I don't like this was one of those where I, like I published something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I wrote an article on LinkedIn, and it was basically about the fact that Univision hadn't had a Latino CEO for like 25 years. I mean, like I think an only but Telemundo one in that time. did. Telemundo, I think. Still does, or he Caesar was, yeah, Caesar, yeah, yeah. he's uh, they're uh, I don't know, well, he's, he's, he's president not, I think, now, right? he's overseeing, I think, international sure. is what he's what he's overseeing, which includes probably telemedia, and it goes to show you what he's done for that. Like he got it, yeah. Like he yeah. turned that company around. Yeah, sure. it, it is impressive what Telemundo did, right? It was, I think, to a large degree, out of necessity, right? yeah, to a large extent. The Univision was victim of their own success and having a very successful formula of taking best, basically, the best of programming, all the hits. And then run them to the two U.S. Once again, when your programming strategy is country of origin, then you yeah. take the best programs from that origin country, mm-hmm. it, then it works really Do well. You, you but know we were there. Yeah. But, like, we were there when Univision for the first time was not number one primetime, and you could I mean, you couldn't imagine how it was in, in the in the building. It's like the building was on fire. People didn't know <laughs> what to do. It was like, wait, we're not number one. Like, what are we gonna do? We 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 ran the novella that was number one in Mexico. Like, hey. what do you mean it's not number one? And that was like the beginning of, of, of a major, major oh, shift. Yeah. And I think Telemundo took its lumps for a long time and yeah. having to figure out how to create programming for a U.S. market and then learn how to create better and, you know, content. For and that I kid you not, Wally, in a deck, like when I first got to Univision, like slide two was 120 million Mexicans can't be wrong. I'm not kidding you. Because what they would do is they would take the number one hit in Mexico and just bring it over here because everybody right. here is Mexican. That was literally a thought. And I was like, that seems super new. Like if I was hearing that from NBC, I'd go like, man, that's kind of borderline racist, isn't it? Just slightly. And it, and it was it was mind-blowing. But I, I saw a lot of mind-blowing stuff when I was there. We, was it more like a, people just telephone the buy-in? Did you have to actually sell Univision? I, I think, um, well, on the digital side, man, I had to scratch for every nickel. Yeah. A lot of it was inside, too. You had to scratch this for mm. Mindshare because you had to convince people like, hey, you know what? We might want to kind of get this idea of websites yeah. you know what i mean and uh so a lot of it was there was a lot of internal positioning and jockeying and certainly selling i think for the tv guys um i'll tell you one quick little story when i got there this is probably my first few months um i was part of a big deal do i was part of a deal team doing a big deal because i ran digital mm-hmm. so i was a part of a deal team for a big verizon multi-year deal tied to the world cup there was yep. like this thing was 200 million dollars for this deal and I said, well, I said to the guy who was running the network, I was like, well, why don't you send me the agreement so I can see what you guys are committing to and I can figure out the best way to complement that with the digital stuff. And he sends me, I kid you not, like a one sheet. It was like a Word document, okay? And I was like, well, I said, this is good, but like send me the agreement so I can see what the terms are and I can, he's like, that's it. 
I go, what do you mean that's it? It's a little, one page and it said, Verizon shall spend $200 million. They were doing these deals on the back of napkins right. forever, handshakes. I'm not kidding wow. you. And so, so in that sense, it was automatic. There's no question about it. But on the digital side, you had to basically prove up. Most of my selling was on the inside. Yeah. It was telling the network guy, you need to take a, you need to break off a piece and put it over here to me. And so my, ironically, most of my clients were the guys who ran the other sales groups and trying to get a, 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 an allocation, let's say, of a budget to actually support the digital stuff. Now, when you were pitching back then, was it an integrated agency or was media separate from the oh, creative shop? Oh, super separate. It was super separate. I mean, I think that was one of the challenges is that it was everybody kind of doing his own thing. And, you know, network guys would do that. Radio guys would do their own thing. And even within the radio group, it was like local guys and national guys and so TV, would you same pitch, thing. would you pitch the creative agency of Verizon and also the media agency of Verizon or just mostly the media people. Yeah. Media. And there was a lot of people in the room, but what the other part that was sort of really interesting is the client was never there. And you could just tell the clients like, just farm this sucker out. It's like, okay, buy some of the Brown people. And it was like, they were never in the room at all. That's changed. Oh, that's definitely changed. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah. And that's, what's driving a lot of the evolution, I think. And that's a good thing, but um, no, it's, it's crazy times. I didn't know Saban was Egyptian. Born in Alexandria, Egypt. Really? Yeah, Egyptian. And then after the revolution, his family migrated to Israel. All I remember about that dude is he had leather on his ceilings. That's all I remember. Do you know that um, Two and a Half Men, again, this is Wally's, I guess, it, Chuck Lorre used to work for Haim Saban as a jingle writer. Oh, really? And and he it would work for hire. So Chuck, that, that, Chuck that, would that write. That was a lot of how he made his money, right? In yeah, jingles? Actually, and then Chuck would write the songs, but Haim would own the publishing. Smart dude. Smart, yeah. smart, smart for sure. dude. <laughs> That's for sure. Power Rangers, baby. Power yeah. Rangers. Power Again, Rangers. licensing. He, I mean, it yeah. was like, and I think now you have authentic brands, Jimmy Salter, licensing. So there's a, I mean, there's a business model that's never going to go away. Mm. If you can own the copyright and the brand and you can license it for other avenues, you win. And I think we're in the age of AI and technology. That's going to be hard to do, you own your own copyright and your brand and licensing because a lot of these companies just, they want all the revenue, mm. right? Mm. So they're figuring if they're going to give you money to create the brand or the copyright, they're going to want to own it. So I think that's a challenge for a producer in mm -hmm. general. Yeah. Yeah, brands are kind of smarter about that, yeah. for sure. What, um, before we get to Courage or Cringe, Wally, what, what, like when you think of, I mean, you're accomplished producer, you know, maker, you've got, you know, some of your stuff on major, major platforms. You've had a lot of success for a long time. But when you think about, like, what's exciting to you when you think about this world that we're in right now in terms of story, content, whatever? Uh, super exciting. I mean, it's the the, the relationship direct-to-consumer. Whether you're making an album, a TV show, a film, it's, now you can just target direct-to-consumer. Mm. There is no middleman. Mm. right? So if you can own that that dialogue and that audience, I mean, you're a winner. right? You just have to figure, look at these influencers. They're doing an incredible job. And I think... And it's the way we're targeting, and we're moving to an AI society, right? Where mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to sound a little 1984, but it's more and more AI is taking over, and technology is taking over, and you see how it's affecting ad agencies and programmatic, and it's exciting is owning that dialogue. So now, if I can own that dialogue, and I can just market direct the product direct to consumer, I'm super amped about mm -hmm. that. So, and that's happened too, and even in the case of media, I mean, look, a lot of the work that Jesus and I lead at at, at our company is. 10 years ago, that would have been the domain of a publisher who'd spent millions of dollars building their brand and owning their audience. But now the audience is like, oh, it's Google's and Facebook's. Right. And it's like, you can just organize it around an idea and monetize it. And now, and what really gets me excited, we launched, um, 
with three other partners, American Weed Company, a company yeah. uh, weed for U.S. military veterans, mm. right? Targeting that because we think that's likely going to get more federalized and legalized mm-hmm. if we oh, target the sure. U.S. military. Yeah. And so we yeah. have some high influential people on our backing us, and that gets me super excited. Is that that's weed cool. across the board, or is that is that like is that is that is that recreational and medicinal and all the different? We're going to the med- medicinal. Yeah, we're going to start doing a pilot program this year in San Diego. Yeah, uh, high U.S. military base, and then hopefully we scale a cart and so forth. So I mean, that to us it gets me. Yeah, and it's funny. Like when we were going up, weed was like you know taboo. Yeah. Not even taboo. I mean, like people that smoke weed, you had that certain image. And now people who had tattoos, you had that certain image. Right now, it's like if you don't have a tattoo, what's up? Right, right. right? If you yeah. don't have a puff, what's up? Weirdo. Right? Right. Like this, it's the opposite flip, right? Yeah, that's funny. I still have. He, he knows what Jesus knows this, but I, I still have like kind of mixed feelings on cannabis across the board because it's like when you say cannabis or weed. There's so many things you can mean by that, right? You can mean the kind of THC stuff. You can mean recreational. You can mean medicinal. You can mean hemp. You can mean like all these different things. And on the medicinal side, I have a like personal experience because my dad who died of cancer, he had, you know, uh, some some uh, CBD and THC, well, just marijuana therapies when he was dying right. to ease the pain and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they remove all the THC from this mm. stuff, right? And so the, the medicinal applications I've seen firsthand, and I've seen the hemp applications firsthand and some of the other ones, but the part that always holds me back is that I ride motorcycles, and every time I've been out on the road, every time, it's like you just pull up and you smell weed and somebody's high in the car next to you, and it's just, it's tough for me to get my, you know what I mean, reconcile the yeah. fact that my life is in your hands and your token and on the 405, you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes, I mean, that... They shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's just the reality. So I've got this. uh, (laughs) Exactly. It's a 405. Everybody's trying to get high to deal with that thing. All right, Wally. You ready to play Courage or Cringe? I'm ready. All right. We uh, obviously, you know the show, but we always. do a little introduction of what the rules are before we jump into the uh, into the topics. Jesus, rules of the game, rules of the road. <laughs> Jerry Prince, right? Nah. Uh, so we talk about Univision. So uh, courage or cringe. So we'll go through three topics. I'm gonna tee up each topic, and then you get to go first every time, being that you're a special guest, and tell us whether you think it's courageous or cringe worthy. Right, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of go round robin, and feel free to jump in. You know, you hear something that sounds crazy, Absolutely. jump in. Do not hold back. That's I, don't, I don't think Wally's got that problem <laughs> holding back. <laughs> so we were talking about the you know sports earlier, NBA a little bit. So that'll be our first topic. So courage or cringe? NBA's Kyrie Irving may not play a single game, but could still score up to 19 million this year. So uh, I'm sure you guys all heard this. Kyrie Irving is not going to be playing in the, with the Brooklyn Nets anytime soon, right? This after the Nets decided to not allow him. Uh, basically, they're starting point guard to practice or play with them at all until he complies with the, with New York City's COVID nineteen vaccine mandate, right? And their mandate being that they have to be vaccinated in order for them to be basically in the building. In, yeah, in the building. Mm-hmm. Now, under the current New York policy, uh, basically he could be able to play in any of the home, he wouldn't be able to play in any of the home games. So, combined with the policy in San Francisco, and st- still I'm still hearing the same thing, maybe soon to be LA, this could mean him missing up to like forty five games for the season, right? Now, last week, Kyrie had been actually been pretty pretty quiet in terms of why he was doing this. But last week, he went on IG and did a little IG live to explain his position. Now, he said that I listened first, to the whole thing, by the way, for the record. I've done my you, homework on this episode. 
Uh, good. All 21, 21 minutes of it. Yeah, I, I, I watched a little bit of it. Jesus is like, good for a change. Yeah, yeah that's that's nice. Well, he did Jordan. kind of repeat himself a little bit. Yeah, you could have watched, you know. <laughs> Three minutes of it. If, you, if, if that, you're like, yep, got it. So first of all, he said that he's neither pro-vaccine nor anti-vaccine and that he fully understands the ramifications of his decision. Now, I quote, he said, but it is a reality that in order to be in New York City, in order to be on this team, I have to be vaccinated. I choose to be unvaccinated, and that's my choice. And I would ask you all to just respect that choice. Say, this is not a political thing. This is not about the NBA, not about any organization. This is about my life and what I'm choosing to do. If I'm going to be demonized for having more questions and taking my time to make a decision with my life, that is just what it is. I know the consequence of the decision I am, that I make with my life. I'm not here to share a code, any of that. And right. the, and the mm. NBA, by the way, agrees with them in the sense that they've kind of said, hey, look, this has nothing not, to do with us. This is you in New York. Yeah, they said that, right? Now, and I'll get into it because actually the commissioner just talked about it and he would rather have it be a mandate, but it's actually based on the Players Association, right? So the Nets announced that in that decision that Kyrie will only lose basically money, um, uh, only the money he was due to play in home games, meaning they're still going to pay him for all the all the away games, games that they're choosing not to play him in, right? So that means that he's going to be losing about $17 million out of the $35 million plus that he's supposed to get to you know, this year, which basically means that he'll still make around $19 million. Now, as mentioned, uh, the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, just spoke about this issue earlier this week. And he said, first, that his preference would have been that the Players Association would have agreed to, man- to mandatory vaccinations. This is something that both the refs and a number of other folks that are in the NBA are, uh, already, um, is already mandatory for them to be vaccinated. And he did say it's exactly what we just said, Charlie. This is between Irving and New York City right now. This is not a league issue, but I think it would have been best for everyone if every player was just vaccinated, right? Mm. Now, as of right now, Kyrie is basically the only player who was unable to play the season due to the vaccine mandate. Uh, there was, as you may recall, Golden State Warriors forward Andrew Wiggins, who was also talking about not getting vaccinated. Well, he eventually did. He just got vaccinated, so now he's clear to play. And all the New York Knicks are fully vaccinated. Um, what, and- about, what about Isaac from the Magic? Did he say whether or not he's vaccinated? Or he well, just... see, yeah, so he's the only one that uh, – actually, that one, that I didn't see it. it. I'm guessing he's probably not vaccinated. But remember, this is the case where – these are the cities where they're Right, they're so he's in Orlando. So he's in Orlando, so it wouldn't okay. be as impacted, right? right. Um, now, in this case, with this law, I didn't know this part, that visiting players are exempt from the law, meaning that Irving is the only one who is unable to play as a result, right? Yeah, so I got to better the, understand that one, though. And anyone coming into the, into the city is not bound by this law, which is weird. Um, now, lastly, over the last two seasons, uh, Kyrie has only played 74 out of possible 154 games, right? So he set out during the lockout. Uh, he's also taking some personal time. I mean, yeah, he's been yeah, like, yeah, injured. Yeah, There's been yeah, a lot yeah, of things yeah. that have been going on there, right? That was Stephen A's big beef with him. To yeah, with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even talk about Stephen A, but he, he went after him pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, so courage or cringe, Kyrie not being allowed to play, uh, punished for principal stance, or inconsistent player with unjustified position be removed for being a distraction. And just before Wally goes, so for the record, the mm-hmm. courage or cringe is on the fact that he's still going to get $20 million for not playing, or is it courage or cringe on his stance? I'm okay either way. I think right. I think we can, we can pick one, whichever one you guys want to pick. Actually, let's make it Wally's choice. What do you want to make the courage or, cr- nice. or cringe? Nice. Guest choice. On his stance. On his stance. All right, let's do his stance. So when I first heard that question, it reminded me of... We, remember when Magic... Came back, yeah, and he had the AIDS, yeah, right, and well, yeah, HIV, were, yeah, HIV, right? Mm-hmm. right, right, and people were saying, should we play with him? He had a cut, and it was, mm. uh, it was, it, it had that same feel, mm. right? So mm. there's a level of lack of a better word, ignorance, mm-hmm. and to me, it's courage, mm. right? It's free will. To me, it's free will, mm. right? It's free will for the players not to play with Kyrie, mm-hmm. and it's free will for Kyrie not to take the vaccine, mm-hmm. right? Now, if he's not willing to take the vaccine, 
That's his choice. And if he's willing to lose money, that's his choice. Mm. Right? How do you feel about the Nets saying, we're just not going to play you at all if that's the case? That, and that's their choice as well. I think, look, we, it just comes down to education. Right? Why and, are they choosing not to play him at away games, though? Like, it's their choice not to play him at away games. For sure. Where the requirement doesn't exist. I think the reality is they. I think he's a distraction, and he mm. has been. Oh, clearly. I mean, clearly. I mean, I think at this point, look, he's played less than half of the games for the last two seasons. He didn't help him at all during the bubble, right? This is what KD was hurt, so they could have really used him, mm. right? He wasn't playing then. He's taking personal time. He's a guy that already shows some lack of commitment in general to the team. And if I'm the if I'm the owner, not have to worry about adding you to lineups, taking you out. Worry about the flow, about who's starting, who like do I get my getting enough minutes. Am I, are you my starter when you're away, but not, but can't, can't count on you when you're at home? I think it creates a dynamic where it's just too much of an issue. And frankly, this case is really telling when the team is saying, I'm willing to pay you 19 million bucks for you to not to, to be in this in this team. Like That says a lot. It does. That says yeah, a that lot. That dude's world-class yeah. talent, though. For sure, but world class talent gets but, you know, know put on the bench all the time place. for being a distraction. Like mm. that, that's not that's not a new story here from that perspective, right? But I think Kyrie wants to be that guy, you mm. know, that Muhammad Ali kind of social cause that guy, right? And I think he's taking a stance. Do you think he's that guy? He's, no, he's not that guy. But I think he wants to be that guy, and he's he's that's his path that he chooses to be that guy, right? Yeah. And I think. And this is not the first stance. He's had other controversial stance with yeah, the NBA right. to be that guy. So, that, again, this is just a history of Kyrie. Well, that was uh, like for the sitting out of the of the, um, the bubble season, right? Basically, Absolutely. 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think this is Kyrie wanting to just feel empowered, mm. right? And, again, it's down to free will. Listen, if he wants to give up that money and that check, that's his prerogative. And But, unfortunately, he can't right. play in the NBA if he's not getting vaccinated. And those are the rules. I mean— you're holding the gold, you make the rules, and the NBA is holding the gold. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Sure. Charlie on his decision. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm with you, Wally. I'm I'm courage too, and I think especially if we're doing it about his decision, the question about him getting paid for not playing, I would probably also still be courage on because I think, but that's a much more. It's a less interesting question because it seems like the team is making the decision on what to pay him and yeah. and and when to bench him too. But I think for me that this issue breaks along because here's what I I heard the Stephen A. Uh, piece on it, and Stephen A.'s whole thing was you're not anti-vax, right? He he he's like if you're not anti-vax, but yet you you have no problem with the vaccine, yet you're not getting it, you're almost being dishonest. That was kind of Stephen A.'s reasoning. Mm-hmm. You're not anti-vax, then you should have the vaccination. And there's a gap between those two ideas that I think is where a lot of this is lost. Mm-hmm. For me, and I'm not saying that Kyrie would express it this way, but just in my thinking about this whole concept, I'm with you in terms of the idea of free will, very important to me as well. But I think it kind of breaks along the lines of how you view like human beings and human decision making, mm-hmm. right? Because either you think humans are like the best mammals or there's something more than that. There's something more than just you know, the best mammals. And so when you think about decisions like this, even though there, are, there may be legal requirements or even contractual ideals, there's something greater at play here, right? So for people who have sincere reservations about getting vaccine, when they say, I'm not anti-vax, but the vaccination is not for me, it's like, it's a, it's a lot, what I hear is a lot like saying, I'm not anti-Christian, but Christianity is not for me. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's at a level, it's at Fair. that kind of level of personal autonomy 
where you can definitely hold both positions. I'm not against the vaccine, right? but yet it's not for me, where I think a lot of people out there here, if you don't really have a problem with the vaccine, it's not poison, it's not this, there's a test for blah, we've looked at it a thousand different ways. If you don't have a problem with that, you should get it. And there's this like automatic right. leap to that. But hold yeah. on, yeah, yeah, yeah. not to cut you off. Yeah, tell me. But do you think this is just another divisive, Just I mean, it's very polarizing. For right? sure. Both ends, right? And how do we split the country in half. You got the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, right? Yeah. And where's the commonality? Where is the common ground? I think the common the commonality should be around the principle that you just said, which is the principle of kind of free will. You're using that as a, as a descriptor. I might look at it as kind of um, you know personal medical freedom. Let's say in that case, my position is that no medical intervention should ever be forced on someone, and if they're prepared to give up all of the things that that may include, and they're prepared to accept the implications even more so. I can argue the fact that those things shouldn't happen to that person, but let's put that aside for a second. But I think the fundamental decision to say, it's not for me, and I'm choosing to deal with the implications that come after it, is an absolute human right. Like on a level much greater than whether or not I play basketball, whether or not the NBA says X, whether or not everybody else did it. Like I said, it just said it's a different level, right? What so, would you, what would you consider, Charlie, a forced medical intervention? Cause that's actually a really interesting way how you yeah. phrase that. I, I can't think of an example of a forced me- Well, there's no, been not, historically, there's been a number of I, them. Yeah, like what would be one? Well, for like in not, – not in this country necessarily. Well, actually in this country, look at the Tuskegee Airmen situation. There were, they were actually given um, inoculations and a bunch of different yeah, things. Yeah, but, but we know they – I mean – Put put a, put aside bad actors doing bad things. I'm just well, talking about. That was about, the government doing that. That wasn't. Yes, it, bad actors doing bad things. Right, but I right. think at but the saying, time you didn't know put, that. Put aside mm-hmm. bad actors. Doing, I'm just talking about just in terms of forced medical intervention. Yeah, I, I, I can't think what of about, one. They're wait, hard wait, wait, to come wait, by, wait. and that's the point, Jesus. But what about the? But but the, I, don't, I don't put I don't put vaccines in that in that, the, in that category for that reason. You don't think the indigenous they're forced? Yeah, yeah, no. What, what I'm getting at is yeah. that when we think about forced medical yep. uh, interaction or uh, intervention, intervention. Sorry, I can't, I can't think of too many that fall in that category where someone will be forced to do something medically that they don't want to do. Now there has been always been consequence people choosing not to do something. Even vaccine in this country, the policy in this country has been a pro-vaccine country. You don't think Britney, you don't think Britney Spears was forced? Yeah, I think she, yeah, I definitely <laughs> think she is. But but I'm I'm, seeing, I'm thinking about it just like a broader yeah. policy. Right? There, yeah. There's going to be examples just, of that. I'm just confused on the point you're trying to make, though. The fact that they're rare is precisely my point well, in our country. No, but but the but the point is, I don't know how you how this is that is what is what I'm trying. It to isn't it out. that, but I'm saying if the the decision is, you must take this because, that's my point. You must take this because, is something that I don't believe people should be in a situation to accept or be forced to, to have that in order for something else to take place. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I just think those are two different things. One is consequences based on you doing or not doing something, mm-hmm. right, versus you being forced a medical intervention. I think those are two night and day comparisons, right? Because vaccine, mandated vaccines is something that we've done in this country for decades. Not without an exception. Well, hold on, hold on. Yeah. For decades, right? Because even now there is exceptions. Even for even for this vaccine, there, Increasingly there, there, less. there is exceptions just as we've had before. So... But even in those cases, maybe maybe the, maybe that has happened. Was like no no no, you don't get a choice. You're being forced this vaccine, whether or not you. So I, would, I don't put that this in that category either for that same reason. 
Right. Well, it's not a forced intervention. I guess, well, okay, so it isn't at this point, but my guess is, my, my point is the principle is similar in the sense that that's the direction that we're, we seem to be heading it. In the past with vaccines, they've been required for public school and a thousand different things. You're right. Mm-hmm. But there's always been avenues where if you had a sincerely held belief, a religious reason, a medical reason, those are increasingly rare. And in fact, all the news stories that I'm increasingly reading are that those exceptions are handed out in the most minimal of circumstances where before, not that it was an automatic, but well, it was a heck of a lot easier. So I think that the people like losing jobs or doing things is a newer phenomenon than we've experienced in this country um, in the past. Yeah, I, I see it more as this is unfortunately the politicization that has happened with mm-hmm. this with this subject because things that were normal five years ago, uh, two years ago before December Pandemic. 2019, yeah. <laughs> are now seen as exactly in that light were right. Though there were mandates. There already were well, exceptions. Even, even like Colin Powell, right? When he like all, away. all of these things were already in place. It's just now, what what I find really interesting is like, are we now going to take this approach with everything? Meaning, like polio is now everyone's personal choice, whether you choose to or not, and and if you can't, it's okay or, or it is in the case. But it, see, what I'm saying like, is yeah, they have to go, you're, you're, they have to go backwards, but, like the complete opposite let, direction. Let me, let me give you, a, for instance, here in Los okay. Angeles, beginning on November fourth, according to the commission that just voted for LA, right? You will not be able to enter a gym, restaurant, or any indoor establishment without showing proof of vaccination, right? Sure. And I don't know if there is an exception to that. I haven't studied the issue deeply. That has never been the case with polio or with rubella or with any other of these vaccines that are mandates for public school or other things. No, Ralph's doesn't stop the person and go, do you have your polio vaccine? You, you don't think if we had a, pand- a, bre- a pandemic breakout of polio, that wouldn't be the case pretty quickly? I, whether or not it is, I'm just, I'm just stating a fact that it hasn't happened. So I'm just saying that we're in a different place right now. And I think that we're all responding, yes, to a politicized situation. But the principles is what holds true for me. That like, ultimately, if the choice is you must do this, which I have a personally held belief not to do, or get this. I just think that that's a difficult pers- the situation to put mm-hmm. people in. That's all. I agree. I mean, look, when Colin Powell passed away, he had COVID. Yep. Yeah. And he had the vaccine. Yeah. And due to complications of COVID, he passed away. So, I mean, so then the anti-vaxxers take a hold of that, right? Mm-hmm. And say, look. Yeah, he also had cancer too. Right. Can- I mean, right. It's, so, it's, 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 it's very polarizing. And yeah. I, I, it comes down to free will, right? And, it's, and, you, and to, Charlie, to your point, it's like it's a collective. It, there's something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Right, and so, you, but it's hard to think in that way because it's very polarized. So it's hard to where's the com- back to where's the commonality, yeah. right? Where do if there was a commonality unifying force, then I think we think as a collective. Mm. We're I think we're in an, in an age of technology. We're not thinking as a collective anymore. It's very hard to unify right. the country, right? Yeah. It's usually right. a sporting event or something where like we all come together. <laughs> yeah, and now it's like it's Chargers. all. Have you seen all the videos of the Dodgers fighting each exactly. other in the stands? Oh, like, game tonight. <laughs> like, it's, uh, actually, they're on today right now. Uh, are they? Yeah. Where are you at, Jesus? You know what's interesting that you said, uh, Wally, that I hadn't thought about is that the, the – I think you're so right about this. Kyrie seen himself as, as wanting to be like a Muhammad Ali kind of person. That guy. I totally get that. Like I had never thought about him in that, in that context. And I say – I mean, look, LeBron and, wants and to be that guy. Is, he's not. Like, so I would say, look, in terms of the decision on courage or cringe or him deciding, I don't want to take the vaccine and therefore whatever comes from it comes from it. Sure. I – I don't know how you can be cringe on on his making that choice, how knowing that can't be or can be. I don't know how you can be cringe. Got it? Okay. Because he's very pretty candid about like, hey, I know if I do this, I know there are going to be consequences, 
I also think that because of what you said, I think he's trying to put himself a little bit of that martyr kind of absolutely role. And and what's interesting with him, and I'm, I'm sorry, but the, the part that I just have a hard time giving him credit is that when you start, when the starting point of what the things that you stand for include being a flat earther, it, I just think it puts you in this category that unfortunately is really hard to take you seriously. It's really really hard to take you seriously, and I think that's part of the challenge that that that, that, you, that you have with Kyrie. I also think that we as as people, as consumers, as fans of sport, we've been spoiled of having some really good, smart athletes over the years, over the decades. And the reality is like, some of these guys are just not that. Well, some that, of these guys are well, really good athletes and nothing wrong with that. Like, they're really good at the sports that they do. That doesn't mean they should be spokespeople for, for anything. That doesn't mean that they're, you know, good at theory or intellect in any way whatsoever. And we've been lucky. We have a LeBron James. We've had a Kobe Bryant. We have a Magic Johnson we were talking about. Mm. We have this long history, right, of, of these athletes that were awesome at their sports and also, like, great ambassadors as humans. And I think we're spoiled. Well, and then you have a Kyrie Irving that is not that, that wants to be that. And it's like that's what I see as a massive disconnect. Let me, let me take that one. Uh-huh. I think back then it was just a different media era. Like we, have, there's so much scrutiny. We have so much access now. We have so many yeah. touch points. They have well, social media and so forth. Like unfiltered version unfiltered of themselves. Unfiltered themselves. Yeah. So the, the the bar goes down, and I think we. That's a good point. We, like how, like I couldn't even think as a kid there scrutinize Magic Johnson. Like you just like sure. we we put them on a pedestal <laughs> and you, absolutely, but that was never talked about. That with, was never yeah. reported about. That was not, that, that wasn't right. discussed. Same with Jordan. That yeah. wasn't discussed. We we all know Jordan had a side, but that just wasn't discussed. Right. But now with social media, yeah. with Twitter, it, it that's it's also visible. It's yeah. so yeah. visible, and yeah. so <clears throat> there's a brand kind of dilution. I, to I, that? I would yeah. look. I, I I I get. So you're netting out on courage, right? So we're starting courage, off all, all in agree. Yeah. I don't know Kyrie Irving. I don't follow the NBA like you guys do, um, and I haven't heard him speak really that much before. Watching this 20 minute uh, video, despite its repetitiveness, I actually. I take away something different that I actually thought he was trying to be a person of goodwill. I see him talking about a message of not being divided. I see him talking about a message of he, he even said he's like, people call me unintelligent, but they'll never do it to my face. He's, he, you know, he, 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 he talks about, you know, being a human being and being afforded rights of a human being. And like, I didn't see anything in, in his thing that, that would sort of say, oh, this is a guy who's like at a, at a lesser tier of, of being a, uh, somebody to, to think about or follow. Like, I didn't see that. You well, know what I mean? I mean you yeah, brought up the flat earth you, thing before, you, but... Well, that's because he said it. I mean, it's no, I not like it. no so one if, is putting that on his, like, I, on I, him. Okay, I get that. And but, when you're at this day and age, that's the position you're taking. I'm sorry, but your level of intellect is just not on par. It just mm, isn't. Mm. Like, if, if in this day and age, that's still a question that you have. Like, there was a great documentary. Did you see, ever see the documentary about the flat earthers being... Yes, that was a good There's one. this great moment yes. of, of this experiment that they do, right? Which is like... You see it like like they're like the blood drained from their head as it's happening, right? Where they get basically they, they they're in this pretty flat area and they're pretty far away from each other. And the experiment is we're gonna take this like laser and then point it through directly across the horizon. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna put a little hole and I should be able to see it on the other side. And it's fairly flat. And if there's any kind of curvature in the ground, it won't hit the spot. Yeah. It won't hit the spot. It'll be mm-hmm. actually higher. Mm-hmm. And and then you see it real time as it happens. And they're all like, like you can see like just the feet kind of hit down. And my point is like, it takes not a lot of effort with these, these numbnuts in the backyard or whatever they live to prove it out pretty quickly. So when I hear someone make that kind of position and use it as part of their platform, I just have a really hard time saying that. This is, yeah. That doesn't mean they're not human. It doesn't mean they, they're not a goodwill person. But I do think there's more to what you're saying, Wally, yeah. which he sees himself or wanted to be that. 
and then just not mm. being that. Mm. And I think it's hard to manufacture that. Yeah, I, I think, think that's what it is I here. Think yeah, that has to find you. You can't find it. It just happens, right? And mm-hmm. I think you know. Whether you're Ali, even Jabbar. even the, even the staying out of the bubble, like when you look at the reasons why he said, it's hard to say like, hey, this guy's being selfish. Well, in some ways, he was saying, listen, if we play basketball right now, it's a distraction from what's happening. That's what he said. Now, how he went about saying he didn't talk to any of the other players before taking that, trying to take this position, trying to like basically cause his movement, and then nobody followed him. Right, it's like this leader without a group. Yeah, exactly. Right, I mean yeah, that's absolutely. that's part of, that's part of the challenge absolutely. that happens to him, and I think people see him that way. They may not tell him that in his face, but they see him that way. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we're because getting... I think if Kevin Durant didn't want this to happen, and he was like, "No, you, you, you know, have, like we're gonna, we need him." Mm-hmm. You don't think Kevin Durant at this point could could have that kind of sway in the Nets to make sure that he still plays with the team? But I, hold on. Yeah. But I think Kevin is far more sensitive than Kyrie. Kevin Durant. Like, I mean, I applaud Kyrie. He. I mean, mm-hmm. there's something about him. He just put his two feet down mm-hmm. and said, "This is me." Right. Where. It's like Kevin, 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 sense and just reacts differently. I'm not saying he's, he's not as strong, but he just Kyrie doesn't care. Kyrie doesn't care what you think. But, but don't you right. think? Don't you think Katie has enough say in that organization? Oh, absolutely. That if he really absolutely. disliked this move, he would have told management, "We're not doing that." Absolutely. The only thing that worries me about the whole idea of of um, of ascribing intelligence to the validity of his position is that his position doesn't seem to be based on anything having to do with scientific knowledge of the virus. Like there's no place where he's saying I've looked at the data and therefore I've concluded X. Like that's not his position at which point you could ascribe to previous things that he said that have no bearing in fact and say, this is why you're discredited. He's using a completely different argumentation to come to his conclusion. So that's what worries me about saying, Oh, you're a flat earther. Therefore X because those two don't link in this argument anyway. Mm-hmm. I just think it's tough to not knowing that that is there and that's part of who he was and a serious position, not a joke, not this wasn't like a meme that he was like just sharing and then saying that that has no bearing at all in his the way that he thinks about things going forward. Like it, Maybe you think there's a there's so different no, that you can I, like, I, I agree that that's a reasonable I agree it's a reasonable it's a reasonable connection to make. I'm just saying it's not in what he said. So yeah, uh, yeah I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is be the most agreed upon disagreed wow. topic, right? There the first go. one. All right. So well, next the one, beauty of courage, courage or cringe. Well, we'll have nothing to talk about for Netflix, yeah, yeah, exactly. especially <laughs> with you. Well, I can't wait <laughs> to hear your Netflix yeah. POV. I love this headline: Netflix fires black pregnant leader of trans resource group. If there's ever going to be like, there's check, no bias. Check tell, box. Me, tell me the all, check all, the, all the all the checkbox to 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 check <laughs> or box. possible lawsuit may happen, yeah. like. They hit them all, you know? Yeah, when the PR team defines bad optics, <laughs> this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as some of you may have heard, there, there has been a little bit of controversy surrounding the latest Dave Chappelle Netflix special, The Closer, right? Well, that controversy just escalated this, you know, this week after Netflix fired one of the leaders of the company's trans employee resource group who had been organizing a walkout over the company's response to the anti, anti-LGBTQ plus remarks that many feel were made in the stand-up special. By the way, that walkout is going to be tomorrow, I want to say, on Wednesday. Wow, in front of the Netflix building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen it on social media. Uh, people are, are calling uh, to do a walkout there. Um, yeah, they're in, in Hollywood, right? Okay. Uh, apparently, the fired employee was terminated due to, due to suspicion that they were leaking the metrics about the Chappelle special to media outlets, right? Now, to this, Netflix said... We have to let go of an employee for sharing confidential, commercially sensitive information outside the company. We understand this employee may have been motivated by disappointment and hurt with Netflix, but maintaining a culture of trust and transparency is core to our company. Right uh, now, of course, there was also Tara Field, who Netflix, basically the Netflix yeah. trans employee, who was first suspended, then reinstated after a couple of days. 
because they reversed course on that one. And there was also two other employees. I think it was three of them in total, right? For, After for they were crashing a meeting. For crashing a meeting, basically, right? right? Now, Netflix leadership has been, you know, publicly stood by the decision to support the special and artist freedom, uh, you know, despite the controversy with Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarando saying, with the closer, we understand that the concern is not about offensive to some content, but titles which could increase real world harm, real world harm such as further marginalizing already marginalized groups, hate, violence, etc. Adults can watch violence, assault, and abuse, or enjoy shocking stand-up comedy without it causing them to harm others. Can I right. tell you, I finally watched it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. What'd you think? Closer. Yeah, what'd you think? I, I mean, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was good. Now, as funny as other stuff, to your point earlier, because we, we covered this on another show, Wally, yeah. you're right, you're right. Um, but I didn't see, like, a huge gap in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I definitely laughed. I mean, it was definitely, I, I like the storytelling that you are, that you mentioned as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was good. And, and I, I thought did, it, did you also pick up on the, cause one of the things the that frequency I, of the, yeah, the amount oh, yeah. of, of but, how much you talked about but it. But I do think that it was a driving kind of thematic of the, sh- of the, yeah, of the show. Yes. Sure it was. He yeah. started off saying that. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Started off. You know, on that, so we, we talked about it last week, and, and Wally, love to hear your thoughts on it on the show as well. Like, that's one of the things that I had about it, right, is my my interpretation of watching the show is like, yeah, I thought quality-wise was not as funny as the previous ones. But put that aside, because that, some, some of that just depends on whether the lens joke for you personally. But the part that was just odd to me was this thing was like, it really became like a, like, what the show was all about like it was my guesstimate was like i don't know 50 to 70 percent of the show feel sent to be like some kind of like just dig at the lgbtq community and it was like wh- like why it, it gets to a point where like, it goes so much that but it feels start feeling personal think, and, and the example yeah. i was giving was like if like if dave Chappelle decided that in the next special you want to make fun of mexican people like i wouldn't be offended because he's dave Chappelle. yeah now if the next two to three specials he makes it all about or continues to make fun of mexico and then he has one where Half or seventy percent of it is all about making fun of Mexican people. My response was, they were like, "Hey, Dave, do we have a problem here? Like, what's going on, man? Like, what wh- what's the issue, right? Like, yeah." And that was my reaction to it. After a while, it felt like the same, like joke beating yeah. on it over and over and over again. I see that. What's your read? Wally? Yeah, well, what was your so, read, Wally? I mean, look, I'm a huge Chappelle fan, and he. I mean, I thought that it was funny. I think the first two were funnier, um, but Dave just. Had, I think Dave is. I think he just got tired of talking about it. So he's like, if I'm going to talk about it, this is it. This is my last time talking about it. However, I mean, after a while, you're like, you're really talking about it, right? Uh-huh, like, right. The, like, after a while, you're like, hey, man, you're still talking about it, right? right? So I think maybe they hope they found peace in this, right? And then Dave, and at the end of the day, I mean, as a human, back to the human, as a human, Dave, Dave is trying to find commonality, right? I think he and he... He tried to, you know, he used the, you know, which I thought that was a, just a poor example. Right? The one friend he had is transgender who passed away through the suicide. And that was his commonality. And that's just like, hey, I have a black friend. I mean, that, right. that's, that's, that's the part he's that, just like the most. That well, was like, that, I mean, I found that like, he didn't have to go there. I, mm. I, but they, that it's was, almost like it became like a justification to which the I, whole thing. Which I that's why I said like that story I liked, I would have liked it two episodes, two, two specials ago. Not, not this one thousand percent and i think that he is obsessing you i get that point i mean his frequency and his <laughs> energy is so focused on this but, but, that he can't yeah like just kind of you know when you just like like exhale right i, I think dave is still inhaling 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 but let me let me stand up from for, for for my man uh Chappelle here for a second what if he were to say to you yeah but wally i'm a comic so 
making fun of people or whatever oh, is existential to my craft. And if people are going to now, like maybe I'm making a point to make the point. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I'm not saying that's that he's doing that. I'm just I, saying, could he say that? Yeah, but, that, but that's kind of my point, right? It's like, my issue with it was not that I don't think he should have talked. He shouldn't talk about it. It just, but it, it gets to the point where you're like, no, I, now you're kind of obsessing. I, I think that no, the, no, no. that I, I borderline his, of like well, he, now you're overdoing. You it? thought it was he personal. Did, he did one. It feels well, he, personal. He well, he said one thing. He he said, look, he was trying to cross. He was trying to bring race into it, right? He said, look, there's a difference between this transgender and you know how far right. they moved and uh, come across in terms of the African American community and how sure. far they come across. And so to him is like, look, you know. They've been galvanized, they, and yeah, they've come this so far. Point, and yeah. I think that was his point. His point is like, look, he has no issues with transgender. Doesn't I mean transgender comics have been around forever. I mean, like, you know, there's no secret. Richard Pryor was bisexual, and and so forth. So he I know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess there is a Stick secret. Stick around with Wally. We'll find out. Who everybody you know was bisexual. Charlie? I have no idea. No, okay, I was like, it's just me. <laughs> okay, oh, I just cool. remember. Yeah, dude, I'm just remembering Brewster's that. Millions. You know what I mean? That's that's where I go. I thought. No, I don't, it's okay. Okay, that's fine. Anyway, so I, I I think Dave to Dave's point is he was trying to find peace. like he was trying to close that book and find peace. Right. Right. And he's like, look to him is and you gotta remember Dave. I mean, whether he carries that energy with him or that frequency with him when he got kicked and when he left that Chappelle show, I think that still is a driving force it to is, Dave. Like for sure, it it's is. that chip on his it's a chip back. On his so yeah. I don't know if that executive. Was transgender? That's what. See, like, that's what I'm saying. That's be something about his past. You don't know. There is Wally, something. You're, that, you're hitting something here. Yeah, you, there, there's something there, about there, him personally so that has happened. So Dave is hiding yeah. it in terms of like mm-hmm. whether that individual was gay, like, like it, whatever it was that you know. And Dave is projecting it and yeah. saying it. It's about race. Well, yeah. I mean, is this country is yeah. really? You know what's He's funny? Not I, wrong necessarily. Is this country the point right? And I always find about because I'm Canadian. I'm still a foreigner in this country. And the fault is a big shiny ball, the smokescreen, it's, you know, it's based on race. It's not based on race. That's the hustle. It's based on class. Mm. So Dave now is in a higher class bracket when he was two right. decades ago. So sure. Dave, Dave has the affordability to talk about race. Mm-hmm. Right? I, think it's a, it, I think there may be a personal dimension. It's interesting oh, to think about percent. it. Yeah. But there's also, though, a collective dimension. And this is, again, a theory, but one I brought up last week, which is, what if he really honestly believes that you should not equate being LGBTQ or trans with being black? What if that is actually his position? And he yeah, doesn't yeah, want I, those things in I the think, same sense. I sentence? think that is true. No, he definitely, I, I think it's not a what if. He definitely feels it. He's okay. a big book. I'm, all I'm saying is like, you didn't need to do a whole special about it. He already talked about that two specials ago. And the, the the point the point starts feeling personal, which I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Even yeah. that dynamic of of I would be Chappelle curious to know show, when who be, was the executive in the room, the executive in the so, room when he was good when he w- they were smirking and he's like, "This is not funny anymore." And yeah. he walked out and said, "I, I and uh, it's by calm and it's, I'm there, pretty yeah. sure." Wally, if you don't know, nobody knows who the executive and was. Then, but back to the conspiracy question. theory here. Yeah, I like I mean, it. <laughs> Look, By the way, the earth is flat. Dave, Dave is working for a tech company, a data company. They, I mean, Netflix is based on data. And one that's treated him very well. I mean, Based on data. Yeah. So if Dave didn't have the numbers, Netflix wouldn't be treated. Well, Dave, well Dave. Let's, let's talk about the numbers because actually that was part of the story. That's the reason why this, this woman got fired, right? So when you looked at the actual numbers, which I thought was really interesting, so Netflix 
I guess that what came out, it was a comparison between what Netflix spent on each special mm. versus what was considered the impact value. And I'm sure that's a combination of how many subscribers is driving, retaining, et cetera, right? Right, earned media, blah, blah, earned, blah. Yeah, yeah, all of that, right? So on the closer, all they had there, at least in the data that I looked at, was just the cost. So $24 million is what $24.1 million is what they spent on the closer, right, the last one. Including marketing? That, I don't know. It, it, that's the number they had. So it, it's not clear to me. Wally's like, damn. Yeah, production yeah, budget. I, I have no idea. I don't know. You're, you're right, Wally. It could yeah. be only production budget. That yeah. feels like a production budget to me. Yeah. Frankly, it doesn't feel like including marketing. Yeah. That's probably what it is, right? Uh, where Sticks and Stones, they, they spent $23.6 million. And the impact value that was that was disclosed was $19.4 million. So in essence, at least according to Netflix data and whatever was shared by this employee, um, it actually underperformed relative to the cost that that it, that, it, that it did. Now, of course, based on all this controversy, I'm sure it's like it's blown that whole thing out of the out of the water now. Yeah. And the comparison one made to other content, right? So there's another Netflix comedy special, uh, one called Inside by Bo Burnham. Actually, I wasn't really sure oh, who yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that one cost a little bit less than four million. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. production budget that we're yeah. talking about here, right? Uh, and that was for an hour and a half special. That one had a so they have this scale which is called the efficiency scale, which is basically like impact value versus cost, right? Mm-hmm. So for the for six and stone is was like 0.8, meaning that the impact value was less than the cost. In this case of for um, uh, for uh, Bo, uh, Bo Burnham's inside, it was 2.8. That means that the impact value that it had three was times. 2.8, almost three times. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Uh, almost three times more than the actual cost to produce it, right? And that was also then compared to something like the Squid Game, which is now like the most watched oh, yeah. Netflix original title. And we're that, just going to have the show just on Squid yeah, Game today, Wally, by the way. By the way we're going to do that. That was 21.4 million That's crazy. for nine episodes. Really? Mm-hmm. So that it, it has to be production budget. That, oh, yeah, that has production, to be all yeah. production budget. But it was interesting, right? When you think about it from, from how much... It, and of course, there's all this conversation. So the only thing that's done is made this even more... Like, but blow I mean, you it, more. It, it's... Back to what was the question? I think it was the question. So, Cur- 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 Courage or Cringe, Wally, Netflix fires black pregnant leader of Trans Resource Group justified or adding massive fuel to the fire? Is it courageous that they fired this woman? <laughs> is basically not, the, is it, it justified and courageous that they fired her or is it adding it's, more fuel to the fire? It's just adding. It's cringe. I mean, look... At the end of the day, she's an employee. We're all we've all been employees, right? And and if, and if she did leak data out, that's against her employment contract. So they're fully justified to firing her. It's cringy to do so. It just the climate to do so, and that's yeah. just adding more fuel to the fire. Mm. And it, I mean, look again. Like, How, so what, what's the alternative then? You you think that maybe like just bring reprimand, her- reprimand, and just kind of bring her in, and then and just move forward and sweep it away. But they don't. Back to your point, they don't want to sweep it away. They just want to continue. It's free publicity mm. to me, and I go back to the point. It's like, look, it's a data. Co- this is a yeah. data company. What, what are they get sued for? Like marketing money? Exactly. This is a, yeah. this is a pure <laughs> tech. They're not. I don't consider Netflix a studio by any means. This it, it is a pure tech data company. It's run by numbers. The numbers dictate the strategy, right? Mm. And if they're seeing their numbers climb, the more they get me. That, that's got that has to be driving the strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, um, I just got an email from Ted. They canceled your series, Wally. So just, yeah, I know. Uh, I was like, uh, I, just, I just do the math in my head right now. We got the numbers. It's a, a syndicate show, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look. So, so wait, what? So, so like, you're are, you, are you cringe? You're cringe then? I'm cringe. I'm okay, cringe. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Charlie. So, uh, well, I'm cringe, but almost for the same reasons that Wally just said. Because here's the part that I think um, 
I know nothing about Netflix internally, but I know enough as an outsider to know that one of the things that they've had historically that's defined them is their lack of transparency. They've almost leaned into it as a value prop. Like, we don't tell anybody anything. We share no performance. We share no ratings. We share no whatever. So I can imagine that revealing internal metrics about oh, yeah. the performance of a show is among their cardinal sins that mm. everybody knows that they shouldn't do. That's true. And if they let this woman have a pass that they are opening a Pandora's box of that's going to have you know major cultural impact. So for me, even though the headline is like one of those where you're like, how can I say this is courageous? But nevertheless, <laughs> I'm courageous. I'm saying it anyway. She got fired for something having nothing to do with who she is, but for what she did, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't punish people for their immutable characteristics, but we do hold them accountable for the things that they do. We just talked about it with Kyrie, right? So to me, it's courage. I... I think it's interesting the idea that maybe you know you can bring her aside and say, "Hey, you know, let's uh, let's kind of have this um, this moment where we're going to reprimand you." But my point is, I think it would be a reprimand in almost any other case. And in fact, they could even say, "Hey, we just did reprimand this one other woman for crashing a meeting, crashing a meeting, revealing internal performance data at Netflix." I think is different things, and so I got to yeah. come down on courage. That's me. That sounds fair. You know, it was Jesus. interesting. Um, I think you're entirely right about you know. Netflix is notorious for not wanting to share any information externally. But I did read an article, and we can confirm that pretty quick because I know people that have worked there. But I just haven't asked the question, which is apparently they part of the co- corporate culture is to share some of that internally. Mm-hmm. But they're very hush-hush of it not going externally. So I think that's how this person got access to that, to that data. So I, I don't disagree with anything you said, Charlie. But I still that having said – I'm still in the kind of – having said that, I just, I just think that in this moment of a lot of heat, and mm-hmm. this is only getting more heat around it. I don't know if it's the best thing to do, even if it is, to your point, breaking a cardinal sin. And especially because this person is also not not just who she is, right? She's pregnant. She's the leader of the trans resource group, right? She's also the one organizing this walkout, or at least one of the people that's organizing this walkout. And the, 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 the reason why they changed their tune so quickly with the other employee, the other trans employee, was they were saying, no, 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 we're not reprimanding her for the things she said about Netflix, Publicly on Twitter, it was just for her crashing this this meeting, which then they tra- they changed their opinion on that. And I think it's adding a lot of additional fuel to this fire. And I think it is going to start asking the raising the question that I wait a minute. If part of the reason you're saying this is you're, you're saying this because you're doing this because it apparently it's so successful for Netflix, but yet your own data, who you're once again, you're a tech company, you're a data company, your own data says that is actually underperforms relative to other things. Why would you still support this? Why do you still stand like so hard against something that underperformed within your own platform? Being that you and I kind of laughed about it, that he used that, Sarando used that as one of his main justifications yeah. as to why to even support Dave Chappelle, that he's one of the most successful. Oh, they, I mean, they have to. I mean, See what they, I'm saying? Like, they, they, they put I'm just simply saying, like, like that would yeah. be the argument that I would make. Like, I understand why you would do it. Yeah. If I'm, of course I would do it. Chappelle is like the but, goal. But the argument for me, the reason it falls apart for me is the argument that we have this thing on because it performs really well is not the argument that I would make. Correct, would say, but that was his argument is my I, point. No, I get that. I get that. So, so calling him out on his hypocrisy may be th- That's what I mean. Is like, if, based on his own argument, the data shows that he is is actually not true. At least now, now it probably is. I'm sure it's now is way more overperformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I, I'm more in Wally's camp, which is I just think at this moment, you're like this is a wave. This is a thing that is catching more heat, not less. It hasn't died down. It's only gotten worse, and you're adding more to more, more, more to that fire. It's, it's, so I think there's a time to like make an exception to that cardinal rule. To your point. I will probably say that's the, that, that's, this is the time. That's Ted calling Wally. Yeah, yeah. So cancel my <laughs> I'm pitching that. Anything else? 
Wally, on that one? No, I mean, look, I, we're in the age of AI. We're we're all heading, we're all getting onboarded to the way we engage with each other, the way we spend our money, and so mm-hmm. forth. And and this is just another example how we're we're transitioning into this AI world of technology, and that's that will dictate strategies moving forward. Mm. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting though, seeing what kind of um, turnout they get tomorrow for their. Now, do you think that, do you think that would happen at Disney? But the same example, at, uh, if there was a Disney Plus and that happened, I think, think it, Disney would come up with this? Like, what was. I don't think so because I don't think Disney has a long held tradition of being very close, very tight with their metrics. I'm not saying that they share everything, but it's like Netflix yeah. brand is almost that, at least in the entertainment industry. How'd that it show do? We that, have no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. We have yeah. no idea how it did. What's popular? No clue. Well, like, but, but, they, if, but if you pick whatever, I don't know what will be the Disney. Ex- Equivalent to that, but imagine another like very strong. I can tell you what it would be. It would be it would be something that would run afoul of the Disney brand. The Scarlett Johansson. Remember the Scarlett Johansson. We talked about it on the show. Black Widow. We talked about it on the show. Somewhat similar. That got settled. That got settled and quietly settled. Quietly settled. So you know Disney wasn't flaming it. Disney was not. This is still being flamed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. See, like in the case of we talked about, we joked about it with Scarlett Johansson. Like she's getting paid. It's just a matter of how much she's getting paid. And no, and no one's talking about it. Right. The equivalent though, Jesus, honestly. And it's not a one to one, but it would be brand management brand related management. things. Because yeah, yeah. when I when I worked at Disney, these people are I mean, it is a science how they manage these yeah. brands and these characters. I yeah. remember sitting in a room with the woman who managed uh the IP for Mickey Mouse, like the actual character. And she showed me that they you know how we have Bibles for like yeah. treatments and all that yeah. stuff for, for, for films. Mm-hmm. There was a Bible on Mickey brand management about how close he, like the pixels could be from yeah. another brand. That's is he yeah, is yeah, he yeah. facing is he facing the brand? I mean, there was like all this. So if you came out and did right. you put Mickey, you know, riding a Harley or something, like you, yeah, that would be equivalent, but got it, got it. but not identical. All right, fair enough. You ready for the last I'm ready. Courage or Cringe? No, no, no Courage or Cringe is complete without a Texas story, and we have yes. one. Courage or Cringe in one Texas district. Are, teachers, you, a fan of, are you a fan of Texas, yeah, Wally? Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Teachers were told to give opposing views of the Holocaust. For the record, what, what Jesus, could go wrong? Is, Jesus is from Texas, for the record. Not, 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 <laughs> what not from Texas. So Texas House Bill 3979, which went into effect last month, actually in September, Mandates, among other things, that if public school teachers choose to discuss current events or widely debated or controversial public policy or social issues, they should present numerous points of views, right, without giving uh, uh, deference to any uh, one perspective. Mm. Well, that policy is already creating some confusion at the schools on what should be taught or counter perspective that should be made available. Case in point. So Gina Petty, the executive director of curriculum and uh, and instruction for the Carroll Independent School District in South Lake, Texas, which is a very wealthy area in Texas, very close to Dallas, is alleged to have given some interesting guidance to teachers on how to handle the new law, even as it relates to the Holocaust. Now, air quotes, but it's not confirmed whether she exactly said this, but this is what the article is reported. It's reported. It says, just try to remember the concepts of House Bill 3979 and make sure that if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has an opposing... Uh, that has other perspectives, basically. <laughs> the one you want to reel back in is that one. Yeah. In response to the immediate outrage, of course, Superintendent Lane uh, Ledbetter said, during the conversation with teachers during last week's meetings, the comments made were in no way to convey that the Holocaust was anything less than a terrible event in history. Additionally, recognize that there are no two sides of the Holocaust, he continued. As we continue to work through the implementation of HB 3979, we also understand that this bill does not require an opposing view on historical facts. 
as a district, we will work to add clarity to our expectations for teachers and once again apologize for any hurt or confusion that has caused. And of course, you have political leaders that immediately yeah. weighed in, right? So you have Texas State Senator Kelly Hancock, who said, school administrators should know the difference between factual historical events and fiction. Salt Lake just got it wrong. No legislation is suggesting the action this administrator is promoting. While State Senator Beverly Powell said, already we're seeing the impact of a vague and unnecessary bill that leaves teachers and administrators confused and afraid to teach the history of the Holocaust or the Civil War without teaching both sides. So Wally, courage or cringe, Texas District tells I teachers mean, to give opposing oh, views on the Holocaust. That's cringe. I mean, it's, I mean, like, I can't even believe we've been having this. What, what year are we in? 2020? I mean, it's like we're going back in time. I mean, it, that just kind of, again, it, that to me just marginalizes the community, right? It happened. Let's just move forward. And we, we've, you know, pause. I mean, just it's, I don't even understand what, what the opposing view is. Right. Right. And the fact that even there is an opposing view and so many people had, had been killed. I mean, that just, that just again brings out hurt feelings. It just brings right. out that negative energy, negative frequency in the community. And there's, uh, back to my original point, there's no commonality. I mean, like, that's again being de- divisive. Right. And to not acknowledge that it, it, did exist is just to me it's asinine mm. right right and but what do you think that's because i need to me the part of the question like where did that come from this person Gina well there's Petty, this underlying that- i mean y- and you see it there's just been underlying growing of anti-semitism right even in the Chappelle special i missed it the, i had to watch it three times and i'm there like was, yeah there what was anti- like, i didn't, what, I didn't what, understand like, what? it frankly i didn't get the joke i didn't get the joke either i, I had to watch joke, it but three there was times. definitely a shot it, it was shot like, fired for sure you know, spa- and oh, I thought he said, yeah. and I said, I thought he said juice. I'm like, well, I don't get that. That's not a funny film. Like, yeah. why would I watch? And then when I asked a friend, yeah. he was watching again. And this is what he's. I'm like, oh, right. I, I would need someone to explain it to me because I, I honestly don't get the that's joke. another. You got the yeah, book. I, 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 yeah. I didn't understand that joke. But there is this underlining, and you see it come up slowly, peek its head, and that's not good for any community, right? And this is underlining hate, and I think that's a, just a byproduct of where we are. We're in a pandemic. People are angry. People, and so usually when you're going in. Pandemic or economic crisis, you have to point. People are pointing fingers at each other, right? right? And we're going back to the commonality. Like we, I mean, that's what makes us human, right? Sure. We're we're different from other species because if we unify and we all on the same frequency, that's where we go. But there are, again, there are. But do you think it's the case where the administrator is anti-Semite, or do you think is that person's interpretation of this law forces the issue of having to think about something that maybe to your point, if there is a growing Definitely. A growing well, controversy what, what, about, okay, about that. My whole point is, see what I'm saying? Like, what is there to gain from his or her position on saying their interpretation? Like, what is the gain in that? I mean, I don't understand the gain. Like, we're not going to go back and revisionist history. It happened. So mm-hmm. right. are you saying, okay, it happened less than? And then, I mean, to me, it's like the justification. Why are we what, – what are you trying to gain mm-hmm. for having that point of view? The Holocaust. Yeah, I think here you've got – you just have to parse out who the the players. You've got the law, you've got this teacher, and you have the kind of – The administrator. The administrator Mm -hmm. and the people that she's talking to. So Mm -hmm. let me just start off. So read the headline one more time. Uh, Texas. Sure. Uh, In one Texas district, teachers were told to give opposing views of the Holocaust. Right. Okay, so start – I'll give you the actual quote of what she said. It makes it easier. Okay, read read the quote one more time. Uh, It says, just try to remember the concepts of House Bill 3979. 
and make sure that if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you also have one that has an opposing that has the other perspective. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me just start with the end in mind. It's a cringe. It's a hard cringe. Full stop. Okay. Pause. Semicolon. <laughs> the answer to your question, Wally, is that I I don't even I don't know. I doubt this woman is truly anti-Semitic. I think she's trying to give advice on how to interpret a bill yeah. that was recently passed. And to answer your question, the benefit or the reason why is because there is a movement afoot more active in certain sectors of the country to make sure that schools are not indoctrinating kids in a particular way of viewing things. Okay, so I think that's what the bill intends to do. We'll probably disagree on whether or not it's successful. And it probably isn't successful in how it's worded. So I think what's happening is this educator is meeting with the other teachers and saying, okay, here's how you interpret this. What she said was ridiculous, but I think in it, and you see it in the responses from the political people who weighed in, are some of the people who are pro the bill are saying, wait a minute, the bill's not supposed to be saying something that happened. The opposing view is it didn't happen. That's not the idea. Like World War II, that went down for real. How it started, what the implications are of it, what the key events were in it. There's a variety of different opinions on what those things are. But the fact that it actually occurred is not in dispute. No, so, wait, hold on. Yeah. She didn't say World War II. She said the Holocaust. Yeah, no, no, no. World War II. Yeah. I, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Here's, what, you know, how, here's how it started. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different, there's different factors. You should read many books how World War II started. Yeah. Right? But one of the you know, actions was the Holocaust. Correct. Right. So, I don't think there is an opposing view. There isn't. There isn't. There isn't on the fact that it's a historical fact. Correct. It it absolutely happened. But the question, I think the point that she's making, and I don't know, I'm just guessing. I think Mm -hmm. the point that she's making is how we would interpret this law in the context of the Holocaust would be give these different opinions. Now, she completely botched it of how she actually explained it because there is no other historical fact. It did occur. Six million Jews, 12 million total people of all different varieties killed in this abomination. But the different perspectives might be on, okay, uh, when did this begin? What, what, did it begin with Hitler? Did it begin before Hitler? As an example. Do you see what I'm saying? And you could have maybe different points of views on that. I don't know because I'm not a scholar on World War II. But so I think what this lady is doing is, is almost conflating the idea of an opposing view to, to something is to say that it didn't occur. But I don't see that that's the intent of the bill. That's my guess. Well, that's the. I mean, I think that's part of the problem because there is no such thing as an opposing fact. Thank you. Either something mm-hmm. is a fact or it isn't a fact. Thank right. You. But the reality is, this law does exactly that. Is it, it, it creates a situation where it, where it tells you that if there if it's currently con- I actually went and looked up the bill right. So I was like, let me look at the language of the bill to see what is specific that they're pointing to right. So I'll read it to you guys just this yeah. section right because I think it's the one that the most people are are kind of hitting on right. It says teachers who choose to discuss current events. Or widely debated and currently controversial issues. Now, listen to that last one. Currently controversial issues of public policy, right? It doesn't fall in that category. Wait, wait, wait. You just made a point, which I agree with you. There's people that are starting to feel much more bolder about some of these things being much more controversial that were previously seen as 100% fact. And we're like, well, maybe it wasn't entirely factual. Maybe yeah. there is another side to it, a different perspective. And the challenge was, and I agree with you, I don't think this lady is, I don't think she's an anti-Semite. I really don't. Yeah. I think it's someone like, literally in the ministry is trying to figure out like, how the hell do we make Interpret. sure that, that, that we're not going to get our funding cut because that's what they're worried about. And how do you know that? Because administrations in different states, especially rest state, have been getting funding cuts whenever they oppose legislation from, 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 the, from the government, right, from the state government. It's happened in Florida already with yeah. mass mandates. Yeah. These people are freaked out of making sure they don't like stir the boat. 
And the problem is that way that these things are worded is it puts you in a situation that, that like, what's the cutoff? What's the actual fact? And what's considered controversial? Because there's plenty of things that could fall in that. We were just talking about Kyrie Irving. He's not the only one that thinks that's a flat earth. Like, is this a whole movement of flat earthers? So now we're going to, we need to have books that speak to both being living in a, in a world that is a sphere or one that is a flat earth. And we should have both. And let people decide what is, is what. And I think that, it, that to me is what ends up being the challenge with a law like this. And I get, I get, I understand your point. Even if there's really good intent of saying, well, we don't want our kids to be indoctrinated. So for me, they, we show both sides. But then you read how this thing is being put, put into effect, and you can see how someone could come up with a really dumb conclusion mm-hmm. of taking to your point. But look, I would even say 9 11. There's plenty of people that think that that was set up by the government, a whole bunch of people. So what does that fall within the spectrum? Does that fall with, hey, maybe it wasn't, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the US government. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had I've, there's a lot well, of people that talk about this. You know, what I'm saying like yeah. that becomes a situation where like, yeah. but I think the Holocaust falls outside of even what you just read, which is you said current and you said widely contra- debated. Widely debated. I don't think it falls into that category. Well, but even well, just, what do you define as widely just, debated? And and how much like how widely does that? Well, be, for, how sure. wide is widely? <laughs> right. Well, just the tan- like we're all brand people here. Just yeah. when you even mention that name, mm-hmm. there's so many brand attributes. You say Holocaust, boom, like bang, like mm-hmm. it, the, the image is imprinted in your head. Yeah, I got right? a, I got a note on that con- in a second, but go ahead, finish. And your just so the fact that you're even mentioning that name in right. a political mm-hmm. bill, it, I mean, it just dumbfounds me, right? Oh, it, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, well, it's on the bill. Well, it's not a bill. It's in her interpretation. In her so interpretation. look, yeah. I agree that look. There's very little scenarios to your point, Charlie. Well, you can look at the Holocaust. And even if you if you give it the worst interpretation of this law, say that should somehow fall within this interpretation. I agree with you. But but I will say 9-11 starts to get a little bit closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah a little closer, that. right? Yeah, like, yeah. like that's yeah, a, like, that. okay, so then where, where is that? Yeah. Where is the line of where you really have to give supposing opposing views? Or COVID. COVID for sure. Like, we're never, we're never talking about yeah. COVID, right? Like, COVID, COVID is definitely is in that case. I'm just saying, like, bring your press on something that we at least... In the first 10 years, we saw it as 100% fact. And now people, maybe even then as well, maybe I just didn't know about it, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of some big people that, that think that is it wasn't exactly the way that, you know, people understand it was. Mm. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm simply saying like going back to what's widely debated. Yeah. So you're, you're cringe on this. Cringe. No, I'm, I'm cringe on her, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing about that interpretation, even if you take the worst interpretation of this law that says that. But I do understand how this law is extremely problematic. Mm-hmm. For administrators who are trying to literally figure out how to like make sure that they don't go against these these governors who are going to go after them in their funding, mm, and that's what they're scared of. Yeah, this this is a, a CYA strategy. That's what it, what it is. Here's my note on something unrelated to the story, but something you just brought up about the brand Holocaust, the, yeah. name, the name, the word, and what it evokes in people. The the part that I'm always every time I hear that word, the part that I'm astonished about, especially in the age that we're living in, of you know canceling things that we don't agree with is the fact that that name continues to exist in the way that it does. The Jewish people do not refer to the Holocaust as a Holocaust, precisely because a Holocaust, from a biblical standpoint, is an offering to God. Mm. What they refer to it I as— I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. The Holocaust is an offering to that. God. They, they refer to it as the Shoah, which mm. is— The Shoah is a tribulation where everything gets destroyed and obliterated. So when they hear the word Holocaust, there's a lot of offense taken by that. It, it actually, yeah, the genesis of it is actually a, a, a TV documentary in the early 70s that referred to it as a Holocaust, and it just stuck. 
because it was like, oh yeah, Holocaust. Because a Holocaust, technically, if you look it up in the dictionary, is a burnt offering made on an altar. But the purpose of a Holocaust in Jewish tradition is an offering to God. And so they're like, wait a minute, word word. But, but, but the, but the yeah. reason for that was because they thought that Hitler was making that offer. Was there was there no, a, a, I, a religious tie-in between what people view be his motivations to want to do that? You know what, I don't... Because that would make at least some sense from that perspective. That's interesting. See what I'm saying? I, like, I never like, knew that. That's yeah. very odd. I've never, yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, the, um, I didn't realize there was a controversy on yeah, that. There, there is. Well, there there you go. Now I'm so going down speak, that so rabbit hole. We need both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. See, that's... Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that we need to just <laughs> right. you know, define terms yeah. properly, I guess. But um, no, it, it actually... It, it's super interesting. But yeah, Shoah, if you ever... Especially if you go to Israel... Yeah, you don't you, you don't don't, don't play around with I've Holocaust. Never heard of that. Before. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, it's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Okay. But uh, all right. So look, we see we we ended up uh, we hit them in full agreement. Yeah. Locked hands. Kumbaya. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So I'm actually trying I'm trying to find it here, but now I can't find the the actual document because it'd be interesting to, to to look at this thing. But we'll look at we'll, we'll we'll find it and put it in the show notes if we find it. I'll link to one of these studies. Um, Wally. Thanks for playing, brother. Yeah, I loved it. Awesome. Great conversation. Thank Thanks for having me. Um, how can people, like, what, what's, what's hot? What's happening? How do people, like, you know, get in touch, follow your work? Like, what's coming up? Give us the 411. Not yet. Old school term, by the no, way. Not yet. Not yet. Not not yet. yet. It's coming soon. Okay. Coming soon. Can people right. find you? Well, you're hard. You're hard to find. Online. I know. That's what. And very I hard. Keep it I looked. It, I looked you up. Uh, Nothing. It's very hard. Thank Even you. A picture of you is hard to find. Thank you. <laughs> and you keep it that way. It's not about me. It's about the work and the craft, right? Well, and for you're, the, and you're for, the second person that I know that's in that category. I know very few people that are in that category. I, I mean, yeah. and I love finding those people. Like you, the yeah. people, you know, like oh, they're the ones. Like yeah, I mean, Michael Milken was the one behind Magic. Right. You didn't yeah. like Michael just stuck. I mean, but yeah, those. But are the, yeah, you're you're even at a, thank at you. a different category in terms of that. Casas Jose. But there you <laughs> go. But for the record, um, OG, amazing. Jeffrey Wright, thank amazing. Thank you. So, um, and people should know. Check out OG, HBO, um, GoGo's Doc on Showtime. Yeah. You're all deaf work with yeah. uh, the Eric B. and Rakim, a bunch of other stuff that you've done. So we'll we'll put whatever link is pu- public. I that. Thank you. <laughs> in the show. <laughs> we'll just put Google. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you find something, yeah, let us yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the last thing is, Wally, I did want to share with you, um, you have the momentous uh, occasion to be the guest on the show where we announce our brand new distribution deal. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Congratulations. Um, beginning, thank you very much. So I'm definitely not getting a Netflix <laughs> Sure. There's a lot more people <laughs> going to listen to what you just said about Netflix. Um, so yeah, so we just signed a deal with um, a podcast network called Revolver. Oh yes, um, and congratulations! Thank you very much. And uh, beginning, you know, God willing, if the migration goes over, beginning uh, with this episode, we're going to be distributed farther and wider than we have before. There's millions of podcast listeners on this on this network. It's very focused on, you know, black and Latino storytelling and, and yeah. podcasting. A shout out do they to do our, the brand sale or do you do the brand? Like, how does that work? With they, two? they, we both kind of do them. So, uh, <laughs> any CMOs listening, give me a ring. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but anyway, we're really happy about that. Congratulations. Um, we're, this is episode 62 as well, uh, 60 as well. So, 60, yeah. so we've made wow. a new, uh, a new, uh, a new number, and uh, and yeah, so so beginning with this episode, we'll talk more about this on a future show. Just to yeah. make sure people know kind of what's going on, but uh, but yeah, I did want to add that and make that announcement. We've yeah. been teasing it for the last few weeks. And in terms of where people listen to the show, same places, so it doesn't change where the show is available. But it does mean that hopefully we'll get a lot more people being able to listen to the show and, and getting your feedback. So we appreciate uh, all of you who have been supportive. From episode one, uh, we probably go back and think of it as more cringe than courage in those first ones. <laughs> Hopefully, it's gotten better over time. I think it has. Absolutely. Uh, but we appreciate the support. Big a- fan. Any parting words? 
Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Always, you know, it's always cool to hang with you guys. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks awesome. for being here. Mm-hmm. All right, if you're listening to our voice, make sure to subscribe and share this show with the people in your life. Help it to grow, and we'll see you again next time on TDR. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. 
Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.